Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We're looking at Surah Tawbah, Surah number 9 in Qur'an al-Karim. Yesterday we were doing verses 102 to 106. So there was a battle in Tabuk, which is where the Sahabikram went to go meet the advancing Roman army, which was coming from the direction of Syria. There were many sincere Sahabikram who I had mentioned to you earlier that they didn't join the battle of Tabuk for the reasons that they were enjoying the peace in Medina Manamra, they didn't want to go forth yet again for battle. They were weary of war. They were waiting anxiously for the harvest of the dates to take place. And particularly, there are three particular Sahaba who were definitely sincere and who did not join the Battle of Tabuk. And when Sayyidina Rasulullah came back and they heard that he was coming back, what they did is they bound themselves to pillars like we did earlier with Sayyidina Abu Lubabah, they bound themselves to pillars, swearing that they would remain there, they would remain bound to those pillars, until the Prophet set them free. And it was when the Prophet told them that their repentance has been accepted. When Sayyidina Rasulullah saw them bound by the pillars, he said that indeed, I, he swore by Allah SWT that I will not free them, until and unless Allah SWT sends revelation to me that they have indeed been forgiven because they did not accompany me and they did not strive and struggle in jihad with the rest of the Sahaba Ikram. So announcing the acceptance of their tawbah, Allah subhanahu ta'ala had revealed verse number 102. alayhim That indeed soon Allah subhanahu ta'ala will accept their tawbah of relent to them. And this was that group again, as we ended on this yesterday, that they did i'taraf, they accepted their sins, they acknowledged their sins. And they have mixed their deeds, some being good and some being evil. As up till now, up to this point, they had been only doing good deeds. Then they mixed it with this not-so-good deed that they didn't go out with the Prophet ﷺ and Sahabakram for jihad fi sabilillah. So in response to this statement of the Prophet ﷺ was this verse was revealed, Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 102. Inna Allah rahim Indeed, Allah SWT is all-forgiving and all-merciful. When they were forgiven, and this verse was revealed, and Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ told them that they should be untied from the pillars and they're forgiven, then they tried to make up for it by offering their monetary wealth to Sayyidina Rasulullah in charity. Because they realized that it was one of the reasons that they didn't go, Allah, is they were worried about the monetary gains that they would get from the date harvest. So they were ashamed that this, because of this money, we were left behind and we were disappointment and a source of displeasure to the Prophet So in response to that, then Allah Sponsor revealed 103, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً That take their wealth as a sadaqah, as a charity for them. تُطَطِّرَهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا And indeed, that charity will purify them and will bring them to tahara. Will purify them, means wipe away the effect of their sins. وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ And will wipe away the inner feelings that led to their sin, will remove from them any weakness of faith or any desire for wealth or any internal weakness that had uh, prevented them from going. And then Allah SWT then commanded the Prophet that you should send your salawat on them, means you can make dua for them or you should invoke blessings upon them. 
inna salawat sakanun lahum, that indeed your prayers and your salawat will be a source of sakan, will be a source of peace and tranquility and comfort for them. Because now they will be truly soothed, not only will they, in order to resist the love of sahabah that not only did they need to hear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had forgiven them, not only did they need to hear this revelation in the Allah ghafurur rahim but they also needed to hear that Sayyidina Rasulullah was happy with them. So they needed to receive those salawat of the Prophet for their heart to be truly content and for them to know that indeed they have actually been forgiven. Wallahu samir alim. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all listening and all knowing. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that don't alam ya'lamu that don't they know an Allahu huwa ya'mulu tawbata an ibadihi that don't they know and realize that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the tawbah from each and every one of his devotees and devoutful worshipful servants and slaves wa ya'khuzu sadaqati and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts their sadaqah from them as well wa anna Allahu huwa tawwabur rahim and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the name of that being who ultimately relents and accepts the tawbah of those who turn to him in forgiveness and repentance. Ad-Rahim, he is the epitome and embodiment and mercy incarnate itself. Alright, so this was verses 102 to 104. Different people have given different numbers. Some have said 10, some have said there were 8, some have said there were 7, some have said there were 5, some have said there were 3. Allah But either way, whatever their number was, they were all forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When they were forgiven, then now the munafiqeen, the munafiqeen got upset because they also hadn't gone for jihad, but they didn't go for the wrong reason. They didn't go because they didn't actually have iman in their heart. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, then responded by saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts an ibadihi that he accepts tawbah from his ibad, not from the munafiqeen, but from his ibad. This was also in a shout out to the sahab that they remain min ibadillah, they remain from the devoted, worshipful servants and slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't accept tawbah from others. This is a lesson for us, that it means, and this is why Nabiya Karim Sassam used to pray two nafil rakat salah, which later people gave this term salat al-tawbah, but it's not really been labeled salat al-tawbah. Why? Because he saw this, that you do some ibadah, and then Allah Ta'ala accepts tawbah. means here the ayah that indeed Allah SWT is that being who accepts tawbah of people who worship him, who are amongst his worshippers, who are from his ibad. So the nukta for us is that if we ever fall into a sin, and we want Allah SWT to accept our istighfar and accept our tawbah, then we should do some ibadah. And in this case, they offered sadaqah, that was an ibadah for them, that they give charity. Somebody else may also give charity. You may offer a nafil fast, you may offer some nafil salah, you may make some dua, you may go on umrah. The ultimate ibadah which leads to the ultimate acceptance of tawbah is of course hajj. And when a person stands on Yawm al-Arafah, then Allah subhanahu wa accepts his tawbah. So there's a link here between ibadah and tawbah. And even more intensely, there's a link from being amongst Allah Ta'ala's ibad, which means those who don't just worship Him on the spur of the moment for the sake of tawbah, but those who as part of their tawbah, they reform themselves and make themselves His regular, sincere, devoted, devoted worshippers. If they make themselves among His ibad, and then they turn to Him, then Allah Ta'ala will surely and certainly accept their istighfar and their tawbah. Then responding to uh, either the munafiqeen or generally, so now we begin the first new ayah of today. This is verse 105. 
that Allah subhanahu wa tells them that simply do what you're doing, keep acting, keep committing the actions that you're doing. And know that indeed, that know that Allah subhanahu wa sees what you're doing, and the Prophet sees that you're doing, and the believers, they all see what you're doing. It means they will all behold your actions, they're all well aware of what you do. Right? And this is a notion that basically a person's nifaq cannot be hidden. It is something that is known in the public realm. And similarly, being amongst ibadullah, that's also not hidden. If a person is a true, devoted, sincere worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this cannot be a hidden fact. This will also be in the public realm. People will know they go to salah in the masjid. People will know they go to charity. They don't do it for show or ostentation or display. But this is something that people will know who are ibadullah and who are the munafikin. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and indeed soon you will be returned. Soon you will be returned to that being who is knowing of the unseen and who knows what is apparent. Indeed then Allah will inform you about each and every single thing that you do. Alright. And the last group that we did yesterday, then there's a last group of people. And there are some others. And their matter has been relegated or deferred till the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa arrives. Imma yu'adhibahum wa imma yutubu alayhim. Either Allah subhanahu wa may punish them, or Allah subhanahu wa may relent towards them and accept their tawbah. Wallahu alimun hakim. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa is all-knowing, is all-wise. Okay. This refers to three sahaba by the name of Sayyidina Qab ibn Malik, Sayyidina Hilal ibn Umayyah, and Sayyidina Murad ibn Rabi'ah And there's going to come mention of them a little bit later. So I will just explain to you later on, it's going to mention who these three were. Okay. 107, verse 107 onward actually is a long story from 107 to 110. So let me explain the background behind this for you first. Before Nabi Akhnim Sassam came to Medina Manawra, there was a person who was a idol worshipper, a polytheist, and he converted to Christianity. And his name was Abu Amir. And he was a reeling monk of the time. And because of his monasticism, because of his, in that sense, devotion to Christian worship and monasticism, so all of the people of Medina Manor had a lot of respect to him. And he became extremely proficient in terms of his knowledge of the Bible and the scriptures of the Ahli Kitab as well. And so he, if you will, he was a kind of respected religious figure of Medina Manorah. Obviously then when Sayyidina Rasulullah migrated to Medina Manorah, then he was finished because all of the Aus and Khazars, they accepted Deen of Islam. And for them now they had a prophet. So when you have a living prophet, you're not really going to now pay so much attention to some monk of a previous bygone religion. So he was one of the greatest Hasideen or one of the greatest enemies of Sayyidina Rasulullah he often is the one who instigated the mushrikeen in Medina Manara. He also used to communicate as a spy to the kuffar of Ahlul Quraysh in Makkah Mukarramah. In fact, it is also narrated in the books of history, not necessarily in the books of tafsir, but in the books of history, that when the Battle of Uhud took place, he actually personally went to go meet the army that had come from Makkah Mukarramah and actually advised them strategically about what type of ditches to ditch. This was the strategy, military strategy at that time. And according to some books of history, Sayyidina Rasulullah actually fell into one of those traps. He fell into one of those ditches that was dug personally by this person by the name of Abu Amr. Alright. 
Here he used to then eventually then he openly he openly started becoming the enemy of the Prophet and then after the Prophet and the Sahaba Kram were able to successfully defend themselves, he fled to Syria and he died in Syria. But actually he fled to Syria and he will eventually die in Syria. But before that, what he did is when he went to Syria, he told them, he sent a message to the Munafiqin of Medina Manara. That okay, the Mushrikeen of Makkah failed in Badr, they failed in Uhud. So what I'm going to do is I'm in Sham, and that's why the Nisbet, this is why it's coming here, that I'm in Sham and I'm going to approach the Caesar, the Kaiser, the Caesar, the leader of Rome. And I'm going to tell him to send an army with me. And the Caesar of Rome and me, we're going to bring an army and we're going to annihilate Sayyidina Rasulullah Sama. So what I want you to do in the meantime is I want you to build a masjid for me. So the Mushrikeen, the Munafiqeen of Madinah Manara then built him a masjid somewhere near this place called Quba, which itself is a place that is very, very near to Madinah Manara. So... What they did was, right, they were building it for him, but because the Prophet and the Sahabakram and Islam was Ghalib in Medina, they couldn't call it, right, their own outpost or their own station. So they called it a masjid. And they used to pray according to, right, the Islamic rules and worship over there. But the whole plan was that when he comes with the army of Caesar, then just like there's Masjid Nabui is the headquarters of the Prophet when the Prophet and Sahab are defeated, then Abu Amr will have his Masjid headquarters near this place called Quba. Alright. And they told Nabi Yaqeen that the reason that they built this Masjid, because it was relatively close to Masjid Quba, is that, well, there are a few people who live right near that area who are very elderly and weak and they can't walk so far, so that's why we built it to them. Alright. So Sayyidina Rasulullah told them that okay when I come back so they asked permission to build this masjid. So the Prophet told them that okay when I come back from Tabuk, when I come back from Tabuk, then I'll let you know whether you have permission to build this masjid or not. When the Prophet was returning from Tabuk and was just one day away from Madinah Manora, then the angel Jibreel came and brought this revelation to him. Okay? Now this is a revelation. Now different people have mentioned different numbers of people who have uh, who joined with Abu Amir, but it's a very small number, let's say for example, a number of 12. And this is going to be contrasted now in verses 107 onwards to the actual Masjid of Quba, which is still there today, which is the real Masjid of Islam, which Sayyidina Rasulullah himself had made. Okay. Hilaspanta says, and then there are those who built a Masjid to cause harm, to promote kufr, and to create disunity amongst the believers, and to provide an outpost for one who has already been at war with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So who was that one? That was Abu Amr. So they were trying to create an outpost for Amr, Abu Amr, and is that person who already Liman Haraballahu wa Rasuluhu, who has already been Kablu, who has already in the past been against Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the Messenger Sallallahu So again, this shows Allah Taala using a very strong word to describe this person's action. And then Allah Taala says, and these people, right, who are trying to convince the Prophet Sallallahu in aradna illa husna, and they will certainly take a swear to the Prophet that our intention is nothing other than good. Our intention is nothing other than husna. Our intention is nothing other than virtue and nobility and excellence. 
Wallahu yashadu innuhum lakadibun. But Allah Ta'ala sends revelation that indeed Allah SWT testifies that no, rather they are indeed absolute liars. That their intention is nothing far removed from good. So then Allah SWT commands about them, La tukum fihi abada. Never ever stand there in prayer. Never ever, O Prophet ﷺ, should you ever stand there in prayer. In fact, لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِّسَ عَلَى taqwa. Now this is referring to the original, the real Masjid Quba. That indeed that masjid that was founded on taqwa from the very first day, أَحَقُّ أَن تَكُومَ فِيهِ has a greater right over you, Nabi Akrim ﷺ, that you should stand in it and pray in it and lead others in prayer in it. And in that masjid, now again, now here Allah SWT is describing Sahaba Ikram. Fihi, in that masjid Kuba, they are Sahaba. And how does Allah SWT describe those Sahaba? Rijalun yuhibbuna, that they are such men who their love and their passion is what? Ayyatatahharu, wallahu yuhibbul mutahhirin, that Allah mutahhirin, indeed there are people in there that they love to purify themselves, and Allah SWT loves those who seek to purify themselves. Alright? And then Allah SWT continues, that is that who is better? Literally, the sense of this is tell me, means that which is better? The person who has founded their building on taqwa, on fear of Allah SWT, on consciousness of Allah SWT, and desiring his pleasure, his good and noble pleasure, or the one who has founded his building, referring to Abu Amr, founded his building on the brink of a precipice, on the brink of a crumbling precipice, that is just about to collapse, and it will collapse into the fire of Jahannam, taking that Abu Amr with him. In, indeed, Wallahu Lahilakumazalameen. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu does not guide a community that is unjust. And here you can rather say that Dalameen means a group of un, of wrongdoers. So here now, this is how Abu Amr is described. Right. So this also makes clear that our niyat, right, whenever we make a masjid. Is what that we want in that masjid, that that masjid should be populated by people, the masjid should be established on taqwa from the very outset, and throughout it should be populated by people who love to purify themselves, who seek to purify themselves, that is the purpose of masjid. The masjid is not any particular person's adda or dera. It's not supposed to be the outpost or station of any such person. And it also means, and unfortunately, many masajid are, are lacking that, but it means the masajid should be populated with people. It's not just for five times a day prayer. The masjid was meant to be the spiritual center of every neighborhood. It was supposed to be the place where people gathered to learn deen, to study deen, to discuss deen, to engage in ibadah, to engage in dua, to engage in nasiha, to help one another. And fortunately, many neighbors in Pakistan, you know, the masajid are just for either prayer or nikah or janazah. And even when you try to do something more, in those masajid, the imam gets parishan. Who are you? Who are you? And you're maybe going to do kabza, right? I mean, in England and America, hum masjid mein bayan karte hain. And in Pakistan, hum ghar mein bayan karna padta hain. Yes, in England and in, in America, it's unheard of that we would have to speak in somebody's house. I can't, I didn't give a single talk in England in anybody's home. Alhamdulillah, we probably gave bayanat in probably at least two or three dozen masajid in England. But in Pakistan, right, either the committee or the imam, they just don't want they want nothing should happen here, just five times prayer and nikah and janazah. So here we are sitting, <laughs> doing the earth of seer in a home, when they should be being done in a masjid, right? Okay, since I brought this up, I'll also mention to you that women, uh, and I, I'm a bit you know, different from the more conservative ulama in this country on this issue, and I 
applaud and celebrate their conservatism because it is coming from their taqwa. But given that there are women who are no longer in Chardavari, you see, when the women observe Chardavari Parnada, then there's no need for women to go to the masjid. Then they would have their own, they actually comes in the books of fiqh, they would have something in their home called Masjid al-Bayt. And the women would have designated a particular niche. And some pious women still have, they call it their prayer room, their musalla, right? But now that if you have women who are outside in universities and in workplaces and they're shopping in bazaars and the time for Maghrib comes and they need a place to pray and the masjid doesn't have a place for them to pray and you want that they should pray in some corner of a shop where there are men folk who are shopkeepers in that shop. So actually it's better that at least some, not necessarily all, but there should be some masajid spaced out evenly so that every neighborhood is covered that gives a place for women to make their salah. And then such gatherings like the ones we do here, if they're done in the masjid, then women can come to that masjid as well. And they can even designate a portion of that area to be a place for the women who have children. And they can even designate a portion of that area to be outside the hudud of the masjid. So those women who are in their particular days of the month can still partake in those religious and community activities. And alhamdulillah, we have seen that in some universities in this country where they have a masjid and they have a women's area for the masjid, the women's area of that masjid was the means of actually preserving the imam of those university-going girls. And if that masjid had also decided that no women's section would be there and no women would be allowed to come, then those women would have had no sanctuary and no refuge and no place of sukkot. Right? So not every masjid necessarily has to be that, but there should be enough like that, because certainly men's needs for the masjid are greater than the women's needs. So given their lesser need, so maybe a lesser number of masjid, but really the masjid should be there, and people should enter the masjid, and every time we enter the masjid, our needs should be, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to purify myself. And this is a place of purification. And I've come here seeking worship, seeking your pleasure, and seeking my own purification. Right? Okay, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, that this, so there was a whole group who did this, that La Yuzala, okay, the foundation that they established, and it's this building that they had built, rather than the foundation, the building that they have built, shall always remain a source of doubt and unrest in their hearts, until and unless their hearts are cut into pieces. So what does that mean? It means that it will be a perpetual source of doubt and unrest for them. It's going to be a source of taraddud for them, until they die. Until the very moment they die, means they're not going to get any itminan and sukun from such a masjid that was built out of a for- false premise and for a false reason. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing, all-wise. Okay. Ayah number 111, one of the most famous ayat of Qur'an al-Kareem. إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَوْلِ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمُ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسُهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ اللَّهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ That indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has purchased from the believers, has purchased the believers. Their, what has he purchased from them? Their own selves, their own lives, their very beings. So nafs here means their very selves, their very beings. وَأَمْوَالُهُمْ And all of their wealth and property and possessions and anything that they hold dear, in exchange for what? بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ That in exchange for that they have the promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Jannah will be theirs. This is one of the most important ayat in Qur'an. This is the feeling that we're supposed to have. That I am sold. That's why Allah uses the term Abd. And Abd views himself as slave, views himself as somebody who's sold, belongs to his master. And this is the feeling Allah is saying that the mu'mineen, 
the mu'mineen should view themselves that they've sold themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala themselves and all their property and possessions, all of it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in exchange for what? jannah, So that they may get jannah. So this is a beautiful expression of the feeling of servanthood and slave that a person should have. And when they now belong exclusively to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and now they have no more attachment to their selves, to their lives, they have no more attachment to their money, then what can they do? يُقَاتِلُونَ fi sabilillah. They can fight in the unjust aggressor in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَيَقْتُلُونَ وَيُقْتُلُونَ And in the course of that fighting, they will even kill for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will be slain for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means they can even lose their own life. وَعْدًا alayhi حَقَّ And indeed, that this is the true promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is the promise that Allah ta'ala had even earlier mentioned in the Torah and the Injil and the Qur'an. In other words, the Torah and Injil also contain this notion of subservient servitude and slavery to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even the Torah and Injil sent that message to humanity that you must give up everything that you have, yourselves, your wealth and your possessions, and you must be willing to fight unjust aggression for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Okay. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believers, وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِأَهْدِهِ مِنَ اللَّهِ That who is there who can fulfill the promise other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? فَاسْتَبْشِرُوا That you should be happy and you should rejoice and you should, uh, you should be happy and you should rejoice. In what? In that deal بَيَعْتُمْ بِهِ In that deal that you have made. وَذَلَكَ هُوَ الْفَوْزُ الْأَذِيمِ And indeed this is the ultimate and supreme triumph. That you make this deal, and now that you know that Allah Ta'ala is true to His deal, then making such a deal is the ultimate triumph. So what does it mean? That the ultimate triumph is making ourselves the servant and slave of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So who are these believers? Who are these mu'mineen from whom Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has purchased their lives and selves and their property and wealth and possessions exchange for Jannah? So these believers are the following attributes Allah Ta'ala has mentioned. Another very important ayah of Quran Al-Kareem. التَّائِبُونَ الْآبِدُونَ الْحَامِدُونَ السَّائِحُونَ الْرَاكِئُونَ السَّاجِدُونَ الْآمِرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّاهُونَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَالْحَافِذُونَ لِحُدُودِ اللَّهِ وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ So here there are many, many different attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. Each word could be a bayan in itself. This ayah could be a whole series of bayans in of itself. But what are the key so these are some key attributes. Again, obviously Qur'an al-Kareem has certain other attributes such as Mutawakkilun is not here, Sabirun, Shakinu is not here, right? So no single ayah will be taken alone, but clearly these are certain major attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning in Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright. So let's look at these one by one. Number one, At-Ta'ibun. It's put first because the very first feature of the believers is they make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first step on the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tawbah. That is why also in the, those, that tradition of Islam that teaches people taharat and tazkiyah known as tasawwuf, it begins with tawbah. The first step is the person must make tawbah, means an orient paradigm shift in which they turn away from their sins and their past ways and they make a shift and orient themselves and they wish now to lead an Allah-oriented Taqwa-oriented, deen-oriented, sunnah-oriented, sharia-oriented life. That is why whenever you see the, almost every time you see the verb toba, you will see the Arabic particle preposition ila. Tubu ilallah, ila means from something towards something. 
So to turn in repentance from our previous ways and to orient ourselves towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is the first time. Second is Abidun. That after that, then they must become people of ibadah. They must worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They must become people of salah, of dua, of zikr, of istighfar, of durood, of talawa, of sadaqah, of saum, of hajj, of umrah. This is who believers are. They are believers who feel so much love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. It doesn't, it does, it's not content. The person is not content until they engage in ibadah. Until they express and manifest and display that love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hamidun, that after they make tawbah and after they do ibadah, they don't view themselves that we are the worshippers of Allah. They don't have any conceit or vanity, they don't praise themselves. Hamiduna, they praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Even when Allah Ta'ala gives them tawfiq of tawbah, actually even takes them out of sin, even graces them with the life of ibadah, they don't view that at all as their own attainment or achievement or accomplishment. They view that as simply the tawfiq that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا تَوْفِيكِ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ That I have no ability to attain or achieve or to succeed except due to the fazl and karam and grace and bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then all their life they just spend doing the hamd, the tarif of the blessing, uh, the praise of Allah subhanahu Alright. Sa'ihuna means and they are those people who fast. The one trans one translation is put that those people who fast for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another translation is put that those people who journey for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have a third translation here. Third fellow has skipped the word altogether. This is our difficulty that we have, you know, when you teach Urdu doors this year, it's very easy because there are several, what we call, Mu'tabar, extremely accurate and authentic and reliable and dependable Urdu Tarjimas. You can put any one of them in front of you and you can run through it. Here we are half translating on the fly half the time. Uh, so, Shabash, now I've just discovered another. And I've discovered mistakes in every single one. I've used five so far in this course. Have we said to Chorithia? He says, left it untranslated altogether. Has not even given a translation for this word. Shabash. What can you do? It's published by Oxford on top of that. Alright. Okay. Alright. Siyaha is more, it's more, I don't know why this one has come up with fasting. Siyaha means, right, to travel in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so what does this mean? They mean that they, it's a way of saying that they're offering jihad fi sabilillah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two features <coughs> of the salah, raki'un and sajidun. This is suggesting obviously, now this is number one, an ishara that they're people who pray regularly. Number two, they're an, it's an ishara to the physical humble postures. You see, qiyam a person is standing. There's another posture. Qiyam a person is standing. Nothing special in that. You stand all the time. Ba'u, the person is sitting, we sit many times, right? But ruku and sajda are physical postures of worship. You will find that you are standing and sitting other than salah. You don't do ruku and sajda outside salah, right? Unless you're engaged in Japanese martial arts, and even then, by the way, some ulama have said that you shouldn't bow, because ruku is something that is reserved for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Others have said that you shouldn't bow slightly, you shouldn't go into full ruku, you can just bow slightly because that won't be viewed as ruku. This is a thing in martial arts that you bow to your teacher or sometimes you bow to your sparring partner. Alright? 
So here Allah Ta'ala has mentioned those two physical postures. Why? Because He's trying to highlight that they do ibadah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Number one, because ruku and sajda is something that's done to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, that the physical, the act of physically bowing and prostrating is actually a kinayas indicating submission. That they submit their very being to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they offer their very being to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they present their very being to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As you would say in Udhu, وَأَبْنَاوْكُوا عَلَىٰكَ هَوَالَ كَرْتَ اَبْنَاوْكُوا عَلَىٰ تَعَالَىٰكُوا سُپُرْدْ كَرْتَ تو یہ جو حوالہ اور سُپُرْدْ ہے اس کے کنایت ہے in ruku and sajda. Next thing, what do they do? So they're not just doing things for themselves. They're also agents of good. They're also enacting peace and virtue and justice on earth. And how did they do that? And we've discussed this in detail earlier when it came, that they're the ones who enjoy the good and they're invite, they forbid and help people refrain from evil. And how, what do they do? Well, hafidun li hududillah. They're extremely watchful and they preserve and they guard hududillah, which means the limits that have been set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the limits that have been prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Means there are people who observe halal and haram. That's what hududillah means. The mu'maneen are those who live their entire life in halal and would never dream of venturing out of that, never dream of venturing outside of those borders, those hudud, and entering into or indulging in anything that is haram. وَبَشِّرِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And then indeed Allah SWT says that you, to the Prophet that you should give glad tidings to the believers. Alright. From verse 113 to 14, there's another hukam, and that has to do with Nabi Akhmim and the believers, can we seek forgiveness for mushrikeen? So very simply speaking here is that Sayyidina Rasulullah is mentioned in uh, Hadith in Bukhari that Sayyidina Rasulullah went to see his uncle Abu Talib when Abu Talib was on his deathbed. You can say in his final throes, his mother's mouth. And there was also Abu Jah was also sitting there. So Sayyidina Rasulullah told Abu Talib that, Oh my uncle, say La ilaha illallah, say La ilaha, I will present I will bear witness to your saying the kalima, and then I will testify on the day of judgment and intercede for you in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you did pass away on the state of iman. Now Abu Jahl and the other mushrikeen who were there, they kept telling Abu Talib that will you leave the deen of Abu uh, Abdul Muttalib who was their forefather, right? So finally, instead of reciting the kalima, right, Abu Talib said that I am upon the deen of Abdul Muttalib. Instead of listening to his nephew, Sayyidina Rasulullah he gave in to the peer pressure, if you will, of Abu Jahl and the few mushrik, other mushrikeen who were sitting around him. And in that time, then Sayyidina Rasulullah then responded that I will keep making istighfar for you, I will keep seeking forgiveness for you from Allah SWT on your behalf until Allah Ta'ala forbids me to do so. So when he said that, until Allah Ta'ala forbids me to do so, so on that occasion, Allah Subhanahu wa revealed this verse. And what is that verse? And Allah Subhanahu wa says, so we are now in verse number 113. The that it does not befit, and it does not befit, and means it's not permissible for the Prophet Sallallahu or for the believers. That they should seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness for the idol worshippers. Right? Even if they be near and dear relatives to them. Even if they be near and dear relatives to them. After it has been made clear to them that indeed actually the mushrikeen are the companions of the blaze. And I told you before, jahim blaze is another way that is referred to the fire of Jahannam. So what does this mean? Right? 
This means that you cannot make du'a maghfirat for an unbeliever. You can make du'a hidayat for an unbeliever. You can make du'a for the hidayah of an unbeliever. You cannot make du'a for the forgiveness of a person who they die in their current state of kufr has voluntarily chosen to put themselves outside the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you can make du'a hidayat for an unbeliever. Right? And indeed, if you think about it, which du'a does an unbeliever need more? They need du'a hidayat. And even for our own selves, as we taught you the very first day in Surah Fatiha, the most often, oft recited du'a we make for our own selves is Ehdina Siratul Mustaqim. So you can make du'a hidayah, but you can't make du'a for maghfirah. And especially it means that you cannot make du'a maghfirah for a person who has passed away in a state of unbelief. This sometimes is a source of great discomfort to people because many of us, we have relatives. So Allah Ta'ala mentioned that, right? وَلَوْ كَانُوا kurba That even if they are near and dear relatives to you. It may happen that some of us may have a family member who dies in atheism, a family member who dies in agnosticism. Some of us may even have, right? And obviously we want because of our love for them, because they are our family member, we want that Allah Ta'ala should forgive them. It's her sincere heart's desire. But we are ibadullah. We can only desire what Allah Ta'ala wishes us to desire. Right? So better than that before, rather than waiting for them to pass away, and then being faced with the situation that we can't make du'a maghfirat for them, better that we make lots of du'a hidayah for them in this life. And we try our level best to at least, and follow the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah that at the very least, what was he trying to do? To bring his uncle to at least what we call nafsi iman. Not necessarily to practice or to many things, but at least to basic core belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the minimum effort that we should also make to our relatives. Some of us may have relatives like that who have gone so far that they've even lost their own iman. So lots of lessons for us actually. Lessons for us and an ibrat for us. Okay, now then a person may have raised this question that, well, what about Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam? Because it comes that Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam had made du'a istighfar for his father. Okay. This comes in Surah 26. It's coming later, Surah 26, Surah Shu'ara, verse number 86. Where, I don't have that with me right now. But where Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam makes du'a makfut for his father. Makes du'a makfut for his father. So this ayah is commenting on that ayah. So again, this is what we call the intertextuality of Qur'an al-Karim. This ayah, Allah Subhanahu is responding that a lesser person will think that Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam made dua. So what does Allah Subhanahu say here? That as for the prayer of forgiveness of Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam for his father, he only did that due to a promise that he had made to him. In other words, Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam had made a promise to his father that he would pray for his forgiveness. However, when it became clear to him that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala and it be clear, claimed, clear to say in Ibrahim alayhi salam that his father was the enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he withdrew from him. He exonerated himself from him. He exonerated himself from him. And indeed, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam? Inna Ibrahima la'awwahun hadim. And indeed, Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam was very soft-hearted, tender-hearted, and halim was forbearing. So this also shows that if we want to follow Millat Ibrahim, so the wave and mizaj of Ibrahim salam was that he was tender and soft-hearted, la'awahun, that he was tender and soft-hearted, and that he was halim, he was forbearing. Alright? Alright, 2551-LEB-2010 needs to be moved. 2551-LEB-2010. So we repeat for all of our attendants, 
the neighbor across and to the left if you're facing across does not like us at all. <laughs> You'd have seen even now they've put some bricks so that those of you who make U-turns on your way out of here, you're no longer on to make U-turns on that. They have bricked up their driveway. Hmm? Right. So you should try not to we don't want to and now these chits are coming every day. We should have our own parking staff where we direct people not to park in this way. Take it? Alright. Right? So following the military means that we must be soft-hearted, tender-hearted, and be halim. So now, adjust means that Allah is telling us that to direct our tender-heartedness and our forbearance to making du'a hidayat, as opposed to making du'a maghfirat. Alright. This is done. Okay, verse number 115. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying in the Quran al-Kareem, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُذِلَّكُمْ مَنْ That it does not befit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not cause the community and the people to go astray after He has guided them. حَتَّى يُبَيِّنَ لَهُمْ مَا يَتَّقُودُ Except until and unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clarified and made clear to them the things that they must abstain from. Right? Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear to them that which they should avoid. Indeed, Indeed, Allah SWT is all-knowing of all things. In Allah belongs the master and dominion of all the realms that lie above in this earth. You hear what you meet, He brings to life and He causes to die. Indeed, they will not have other than Allah SWT, any protecting friend, any helper other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Now here what happens is Allah SWT is telling them that any any sahaba who had perhaps made dua for any mushrik prior to the revelation of this verse, Allah Ta'ala is saying it's okay, He's not going to punish you. So this means Allah Ta'ala does not cause a people to be astray, means Allah Ta'ala will not let people stray from the right path after He has guided them from it until unless He has told them everything they should avoid. So this was for sahaba, this was live revelation. So before they were doing it, now they were told to avoid it. Now after being told to avoid making du'a maghfirat, if they still do it, then it can be a means of them going astray. But before they know about it, it's not a means for them to go astray. Alright. Verses number 117 to 118. Here Allah SWT is mentioning that, Indeed Allah SWT has relented or turned in His benevolence Towards the Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu the Muhajireen and Ansar, Alladheena Tabauhu fi Saatil Usrati min Baadima Kada. That even those were the ones who followed the Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu in the moment of difficulty, even after a group of them, after the hearts of a group of them, right? Min Baadima Kada Yazihu Kulubu Farikim Minhum. Again, you have the word come, that the spiritual hearts of some of them had become rusted. The spiritual hearts of some of them had become hardened. What does it mean here? Right? Zayh la kulubana. You would remember this dua, right? That we make that Allah tells. So it means, hmm, how can we explain it to you? Do not make our hearts waver. How I, put it, I would put it that way. That their hearts wavered, right? And they wa- and a group of them, a group of them, their hearts wavered. 
ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ However, Allah Ta'ala relented and sent His Tawbah unto them. إِنَّهُمْ بِهِمْ رَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is most gentle, most gentle and kind, Rahim and all-merciful with them. And here comes, so now mention, I told you those three, right? I told you that was coming. So now this is verse 118. So Allah is now mentioning and remember those three. And Allah Subhanahu means that wa Allah thalathati means Allah's Tawbah came, Allah thalathati. And Allah Subhanahu Tawbah came on those three whose matter was deferred, right? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we did that for you. The, the matter is deferred and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may punish them if He wills and He may accept their tawbah if He wills. Now comes just a few verses later, Allah tells proclamation that He did decide to relent towards them and He did send His tawbah on them. And they were those people who, when they, the matter was deferred, the earth was made difficult for them, despite its vast. And what does it mean? That, it means that's what they felt. They were so scared. Is Allah going to punish it? Or is He going to accept our tawbah? Is He going to punish us? Is He going to accept our tawbah? So life on earth was made very difficult for them because they were worried whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had forgiven them or not. This also suggests the emotional feeling the sinner should have. Not like us that we sin and we just happy-go-lucky after we sin. We sin we don't feel any remorse and regret. We sin we don't feel the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's might. Right? And a stature. When the person who sins, and even if they've, after they've made istighfar and tawbah, until they feel in their heart some contentment that Allah Ta'ala has forgiven them, for at least a period of time they should feel such that the earth was constricted for them. Such that as if the earth was constricted for them. Right? Uh, yes, they should feel like that. Alright. And, Second thing that they realized, what did they realize? That they realized that there was no refuge except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لا ملجاء من الله إلا إليه That there is no refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except in turning to Him. There is no fleeing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is only turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no fleeing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is only turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, Allah ta'ala making clear the emotional feeling shouldn't be that when a person reflects on the azmat and kibriyai of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they get scared and they run. They should get scared and they should run towards him. They shouldn't get scared and run away from him. ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ And again Allah Ta'ala is mentioning that indeed Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala turned to them in, his, in, in relenting and accepting their tawbah. And أَلَيَتُوبُوا So that Allah Ta'ala may accept their tawbah. So that they may turn to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala in tawbah. إِنَّ اللَّهُ هُوَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is all relenting and is all merciful. So what does it mean? It means here, this is, this is making a clear verse number 118, that a person gets tawfiq to do tawbah. ثُمَّ تَابَ عَلَيْهِمْ لِيَتُوبُ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oriented His tajalli of accepting tawbah onto their heart. That made their heart want to make tawbah to Him. So this is why we talk about tawfiq of tawbah. Sometimes Malana Rum, Rehmulatana's Muslim, we explain it this way, that water is thirsty for the one who thirsts for it. Right, so what Allah subhanahu wa does then, that because He wants to accept a person's tawbah, He turns His sifat and the tajalli of His sifat of being a tawab towards that person's heart. When He directs that to a person's heart, the person's heart starts wanting to make tawbah, because they feel some precursors, they feel Allah Ta'ala being ra'uf and rahim, right, and rahman with them. So it's very important, right, that if a person ever then makes a sin, this is another nuskha for you and me, that whenever we sin and we don't feel remorse, and sometimes it happens when we commit remorseless sin, 
So we should recite this ayah, ثُمَّ تَعَبَ عَلَيْهِمْ لَيَتُوبُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ Right, or even better to refrite from earlier, أَنْ لَا مَلْجَأَ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ تَعَبَ عَلَيْهِمْ لَيَتُوبُوا إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَالتَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ So that we ask and beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my heart has no remorse, I have no regret. But if you direct your tajalli of at-tawab on my heart, then I will have regret and I will make tawbah for you. And then I will also find you to be at-tawab rahim the being who accepts my tawbah and the being who is all-merciful. Sayyidina Kaab ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu is one of the great, uh, you know, by the way, this moment of difficulty is referring to the hardships uh, when Allah Ta'ala turned in mercy towards the Nabi the Muhajirin Asar and who followed the Prophet in the moment of difficulty. This is referring to the hardships that took place at Ghazwai Tubuk. There was extreme heat. They were gone 700 kilometers away from Medina Manawra. And even then the Sahabah were willing to follow the Prophet Now these three that I mentioned to you, Sayyidina Kaaba ibn Malik, Sayyidina Halal ibn Umayyah and Sayyidina Murara ibn Rabiya radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. So, the hadith that we have about this incident is re- recorded in the collection of Imam Bukhari and is interestingly narrated by Sayyidina Kaab ibn Malik himself. Narrated by that Sahaba himself. So he mentions that when Sayyidina Rasulullah was coming back from Tabuk to Medina Manawra, he started becoming extremely anxious. That what excuse is he going to offer as to why he didn't go with the Prophet What is he going to say? So first he thought, he says about himself, that first I thought that I would come up with some lie. I would have to come up with some lie. I would make up something. And then I started consulting my family as well. However, when the Prophet came even closer to Medina, closer to Medina, and then obviously you can imagine what is going over him, right? He says that he would just speak the truth. So he so Sayyidina Rasulullah this is what the Prophet would always do when he came back, by the way, from Ghazwa, He would go to the Masjid Nabwi and offer two rakah nafil salah of shukr. So Sayyidina Kabir ibn Malik knew that that's where he's going to find the Prophet So he went to Masjid Nabwi. And then he wasn't alone. There were others also. So he says that 80 people in front of me took oaths to the Prophet and they make, and it seemed that the Prophet accepted their excuses and he even took bear from them and he made his far for them. So he says that when I came to Nabi Karim Sassam, that the Prophet now this is a strange expression in Arabic, he smiled at me, the smile of an angry person. So, Shahid, some of you may have ever seen that. Right? He smiled, the smile of an angry person. Right? So Sayyidina Sassam asked him that, Oh, Kaab ibn Malik, what prevented you from participating in this ghazwa? What prevented you from going out fi sabilullah? Did you not have a mount? A steed, transport you can say, conveyance. Hmm? So Sayyidina Kaab ibn Malik said that, No, Yassam, I had, I had a mount, I had a steed. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if I were before any other person of the world, I would have escaped his anger and disappointment by making some excuse. By making some excuse. Kabbalah, he's telling about himself. Why? Because he says that because I have eloquent speech. <laughs> he says that I'm great at getting myself out of things. They're great at wriggling themselves out of situations. So he says it about himself. That anyone else I would have totally been able to have come up with something and got myself off the hook. That's the Ba English translation. Anyone else, I would have been able to come up with something and got myself off the hook. He's telling this to the Prophet He's saying this to the Prophet But I've come to understand, I realize now, 
that if I make up a lie and then swear an oath on it, like these other 80 people did, then I will only get the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you will, be, you will also dis, be displeased with me. And what I want is I want Allah ta'ala to forgive me. So I tell you, I have no excuse. There's no, I have no reason. There's no reason, no excuse, no justification to offer. And in fact, in terms of wealth and strength, I had everything. I had all the wealth to enable me to go feasibility. I have all the strength and fitness to enable me to go feasibility. So then Sayyidina Rasulullah responds along with Ethan Bukhari, that this person, he addressed the gathering and said, this person has spoken the truth, he's spoken truly, but now he must wait till Allah Ta'ala decides the matter. That's what you saw earlier, right? That Allah Subhanahu is going to, his matter will be deferred to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. When he left, right, so then other people, later other people reprimanded him, especially the munafiqeen. Then why didn't you? You should have said a lie. You should have gotten, you should have presented some excuse. He said no. Right? That he wanted to stick to the truth. And there were two other people like that as well. There's two other Sahaba who also said the truth. What did the Prophet do? However, then he banned the Sahaba. He told the Sahaba that you must boycott these three. So no Sahaba spoke a word to Sayyidina Ka'ab ibn Malik or these other two Sahaba. And that's why they felt, as Allah was describing, they used to come to the masjid. They used to come to the masjid, they used to still trade with the other sahaba, but no sahaba used to say a particular word. So much so that Sayyidina Ka'ab and Malaki continues the story, he says, that I used to go to Sayyidina Rasulullah and say salam. And I used to just watch his lips and see that is the lips even slightly moving in a subconscious jawab. And I would see that Sayyidina Rasulullah would not even be moving his lips in response to me. Then he said, once I went to Masjid Nabwi, and I went and I stood next to the Prophet I went and I stood next to the Prophet I took kurb, physical kurb with Sayyidina Rasulullah thinking that maybe something would happen. And I watched him when he prayed his sunnah salah. But even then Sayyidina Rasulullah and when he finished his salah, he turned his face away from me. The other two sahaba, so this was Sayyidina Kaabas. Then he mentions the other two sahaba were so struck with grief that the Prophet wasn't talking to them that they were just bedridden out of grief. They couldn't leave their homes. They were unable to leave their homes. They were so sad they couldn't bear with this that the Prophet and Sahabar are not looking at him. Then Sayyidina Kaab continues, he says, that once I climbed the wall of the house of my beloved cousin, who is Sayyidina Abu Qadadar and I said salam to him, and then he didn't reply. And then he said to his cousin that, don't you know that I swear by Allah that I love Allah SWT and I love Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. So then he kept saying this, kept saying this, kept saying this, and Sayyidina Abu Qadada said that Allah and His Messenger know best. Allah Ta'ala has said in Quran that the matter has been deferred to Allah. So even the Sahaba, the Sahaba also felt, you know, like you would feel if any one of your friends was punished by somebody, you would also feel bad for them, right? So the Sahaba Ikram were feeling bad, especially for Sayyidina Kaab ibn Malik. Then he says that once he was in the marketplace and... Uh, One unbeliever from Syria came to him and told him that I found out that your prophet has been harsh with you. That's what he said. He said that I have heard that your prophet has been very mean to you. Right? That's what he said. I heard that your prophet has been very mean to you. Why don't you come and join us, I mean us unbelievers in Sham, and we will honor you. So then, and he slipped him this note actually, he brought him a letter 
from the king of Syria. So after reading this letter, he burnt it in the fire. And he said, woe to me, look, look at my state, that the unbeliever kings are reaching out to me. Ye mera halik. Ye mera halik, ye mera sakon dosti laganik, laganik koshish kar raha. Kufar ke batsha. Mera apne sahabe kram mujhe dosti ne kar raha. Kyunki nabi iskam, Allah ta'ala ne mana kiya, ek istighfar toba ki ek surat thi mere de. Alright. Khair, then what happened, this other sahabe say, Halal ibn Rabir, he was quite old. Now for, his wife also refused to talk to him and serve him. But then he reached such a state that he needed her khidmat. So then she went to Sayyidina Rasulullah and said that he's very old and we're also poor. We don't have any uh, attendant or any khadim who can help. So Sayyidina Rasulullah gave her permission only to serve him but said that you cannot engage in any, let's say, affectionate behavior with him at all. No affectionate behavior at all. You may simply just attend tend to his needs as a khadimah. Finally, Sayyidina Kaaba and Malik said, 50 nights, Allah Akbar. Fifty nights, pachas rat, aise guzar. You know, me and you, we make sin and we just think that one tear, was one night is enough for our tawbah. That's how the young men are. And they come the next day and say, oh, I don't know, I'm still stuck in that sin. Ek rat ki tawbah kya hai? Pachas rat. Fifty nights, he in the Kabbalah says that I spent like this. And I was sitting on the roof of my house after Fajr Salah. And he says, at that point, I felt that the earth would rather just swallow me up. And then he said some sahaba came to him with these ayat from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That all oh, rejoice kaabim nawalik. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven you. Allah akbar. So Sayyidina Rasulullah had announced and read these ayat at Fajr Salah that morning in Masjid Nabui. So this is that ayat. Then also, yibiyak nuskhai for us. That we should, this is ayat number 118. Right? These ayat that we had just done for you, that a person should recite these ayat, and you should be amal. These are amal. Recite this ayat for 50 nights after you make sin. This is an amal you can make. Right? This is an amal you can make. So, higher than when he went to Nabi, then he said that on the way, large groups of sahaba were greeting him, greeting him, greeting him. He said, the first who greeted me, with Sayyidina Talla ibn Ubaidullah Then he says and he went to greet Sayyidina Rasulullah He said I never saw Nabi Hikram looking at me with such a joy and happiness I never saw such a joy and happiness on the face of the Prophet and the Prophet told me that O Ka'ab ibn Malik accept the glad tidings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the best day of your life no, but no better, no day has ever risen from the sun. No day has ever dawned on you better than this day. So then the Sahaba say that when the Bi'iktim was overcome with joy, he says the Prophet face shone like the full moon. He says the Bi'iktim, this is the Mahavar in the Arabs, that the Bi'iktim face was so joyful that it shone like the full moon. And then Sayyidina Kabbalah said that I want, I want, I went to the Prophet and I offered to donate all of my money and all of my wealth to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet So Sayyidina Rasulullah took some charity, but he also told me that I should keep some of it to myself. And Sayyidina Kaab ibn Malik then mentions, he actually gives his own lesson at the end of the Hadith in Bukhari, he says, and all of this was because I chose to be true, to be true and to be honest and not lie. 
And this is this lesson that we all should learn that a person should always be true in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And should always be true when they commit a sin. And a person should be true with Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam, And should not lie. And if they don't follow one of his teachings and they don't follow one of his sunnah, they shouldn't offer excuses or justifications or rationalizations. But they should always be true and honest. Do we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that honesty? And may he accept our tawbah like he accepted the tawbah Sayyidina Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 119, another very important ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem. Ya ayyuhaladzina amanu takullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadikin. That oh you believe, you must fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa kunu ma'as-sadikin. And you must join yourself with those who are true. Rabbed here is that kunu ma'as-sadikin is the way that a person will be able to do tawbah. If you don't keep the company of those who are true, if you don't keep the company of those who are true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will never get sidq in yourself. You will never be able to be true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and true to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa until you join yourself with those who are true to Him. That is what sadiqeen means. So here Allah ta'ala then in 119, the rabd is that Allah ta'ala has given a surat, a way. If anybody wants to get the same tawbah, the Sayyidina Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu got. If anybody wants to get the promise, the basharat, the glad tidings of joy and success from Allah subhanahu ta'ala, like Sayyidina Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu got, so what is the nuskha for them? Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, that all you who believe, number one, ittakullah, you must fear Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Fear that being against whom you have sinned. Fear that being who you have disobeyed. Fear that being whose prophet and whose Quran you have neglected and spurned. وَكُونُوا maasadikin And simply join your being with those who are true to Allah and His Messenger. If you join your being with them, then you will become a person of Tawbah. This whole passage is the whole khulasa of tasawwuf, Sohbat and Tawbah. And the nisbat between suhbat sadiqeen and making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that we should join ourselves with the people who are true. Sadiqeen means those who are true, at least truer than us, truer than us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And really, if anybody in the history of Islam who has ever been a sinner, if they have ever been guided to Tawbah, it's only because they would have attached themselves with someone or some people from amongst the Sadiqi. It's the whole history of Islam. Sahaba converted other people. It was because that, that Sahaba that they came to Islam. Sahaba converted Tabin. Tabin converted Tabai Tabin. The entire history of Islam is nothing other than a living embodiment of this ayah. Ya ayyuhalladina amanu. Takullaha wa kunu ma'asadiki. Here, this is a topic that we have talked about extensively. And we've given many independent, dedicated lectures on this. And you can listen to that uh, separately. Alright? But the major lesson from this is that truth. Be true in your deen. Be true about yourself. That's why we say the biggest mufti a person has is their own heart. Their own heart. 
That's why the Arabs used to say, Istaftiya kalbak, that you should take fatwa from your own heart. Right? And if you are true to your deen and true to your heart, and you spend company and you associate in the Arabic word, is kunu. Kunu means your very being. You see, when Allah Ta'ala wants to create something, He says, kun fuyakun. Be and it becomes. Takunu ma sadikin means apne aapko achche wano ke saath nathi kar. Apne wujud unke wujud ke saath milao. Apne utne baitna rehna sehna. Right? Unke saath rakha. Kunu ma sadikin. Join your very being with those who are true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. True to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alright, verses 120 onwards. Verses 120 onwards are mentioning generally the reward for traveling feasibilillah, the reward for spending feasibilillah. And here Al-Sumanta is going to mention many, many great rewards, uh, many, many hadith on this topic as well. Alright. That it does not befit the people of Medina or those who live in the Bedouins who live in surrounding areas. That what? That they should stay behind from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should remain behind and they should stay behind and abandon the state, not as the Prophet nor does it befit them, nor is it permissible for them that they should prefer their own lives to his life. This is something I'd mentioned to you again. That if you think the military, I mentioned to you earlier, that if you think it's not a good military strategy, if you think the war may not be successful, then all the more reason that you should go Allah, Because you should be worried that my Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu is marching into a situation which is not ideal in terms of my understanding of military strategy. So then all the more such a person should have gone to go defend their Prophet Sallallahu Right? All the more a person should have gone. But rather they preferred their own lives to the life of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, here Allah is saying is that all of these things that befall them on the path of Allah subhanahu wa whenever thirst or fatigue or hunger strikes them in that way, and whenever they step into a place in which uh, whenever they step into a step in such a way in which the the unbelievers are angered, and whenever they make a gain from the enemy, all of this, each and every single thing, and anything they take, uh, and every, all, you know, all of this will re- result in a virtuous deed. They will get a sawab of fazila, a good deed will be put amalun salihun. They will get the reward of doing a good deed. Inna Allah la yudhi'u ajran muhsinin. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not ever cause to waste the reward of those who are virtuous, pious, good doers. Now, here is another very important ayah of Quran al Karim, which is verse number 121. Uh, 121 is continuing on this issue that everything they spend وَلَا يُنْفِكُونَ نَفْكَةً صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَةً That they do not spend anything, be it small or be it large, on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In each and every way, in every place, in every valley they cross, everything will be recorded for them. إِلَّا كُتِبَ لَهُمْ Except that it will be written for them in their book of deeds. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... 
So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may give them the greatest compensation and the greatest reward for each and every act that they do. So what's being mentioned here simply is that every single step that the mujahid takes, peace be every drop of thirst he feels, every atom of hunger he feels, every penny that he spends in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every parry or every move he makes in the face of the enemy, every feeling of hostility and anger that the enemy directs against him and he has to bear that hostility, each and every single such thing, Allah SWT is going to reward the true mujahideen fi sabilallah for each and every such thing. Now in verse 122, a very important teaching, those of you who have taken our classes on Islamic jurisprudence would remember this, very important teaching for people to understand Islamic scholarship and this division of labor that exists in the deen of Islam. وَمَا كَانَ مُؤْمِنُونَ And it does not befit the believers, means the believers should not. لِيَنْفَرُوا كَافَتًا They should not all go forth for jihad in entirety. فَلَوْلَا نَفَرًا مِّنْ كُلِّ فِرْكَةٍ مِّنْهُمْ تَائِفَتٌ That what instead should happen, that a group from each and every section of society uh, each and every, a group from each and every section, ta'ifa means every segment and section of society, can proceed uh, so that they may get they may get a deep understanding of the deen. And so that they, they will stay back, there must be a group that stays back. And why do they stay back? So that they may acquire a deep understanding of the deen of Islam. And so that they may warn and guide the qawm, means the rest of the mujahideen, the community of Sabah, when they return to them, so that they may be rightly guided and rightly warned. So what does this mean? This means that not every single person will go forth on jihad. While the qawm, everybody else goes on jihad, there will be a group who stays back to do tafakku fiddin. So this is the tremendous, right? This ayah is mentioning the tremendous sawab of scholastic learning in deen of Islam. Scholastic learning in deen of Islam. And there's a hadith of the Prophet as well, right? The ink of scholars is weightier than the blood of martyrs. So that hadith and this ayah can be understood. Here, this ayah is not actually necessarily that the fakku is greater at most, but you can say in this ayah is equating the fakku fiddin to jihad fi sabilillah. Right? So the faqih and the mujahid are being equated over here. That's the first thing, right? That not everybody should go forth, but a group from every segment of society should stay back. Alright? So you have to understand, now imagine like this is being revealed to the Prophet So a sahaba, if you were a person was a real, true, diehard sahaba, they want to go forth in jihad, this ayah is revealed. And then they're told, you have to stay back. So what in the world would make them stay back from the fazilat of jihad, defending the life of Sayyidina Rasulullah Right? Tafakku fi deen, so they must deeply understand their deen. Second lesson from this ayah is that there is something called a deep understanding of deen. That's mentioned in Qur'an. Right? Liyatafakkahu. This is called tafakku, fiqh, fuqaha. There is something called a deep understanding of deen. As opposed to everyday man's understanding of deen. As opposed to self-study, self-friend understanding of deen. Third thing this ayah is telling us 
is that if you want to get that tafakkur fi deen, you have to dedicate your life to that. Otherwise, Saba would say, Right? Why can't you do both? It requires such dedication, such lifetime dedication, that you can't, Quran, Allah SWT saying, you can't even go for jihad fi sabillah. You can't even go for one expedition, you have to be dedicated to this full time. So that's why those people, you know, and you'll find a lot of people, especially in Pakistanis, who are doctors and otherwise, and they, are, they can get a serious understanding of deen. But they can't get this. If tafakku fi deen is something that even you can't go for jihad, you have to be that dedicated to it. So that's what in English we call scholastic learning. That is a life dedication. Right? If you read The Economist, you're not going to get that knowledge of economics to somebody who spent 20 years of his life, first doing a PhD, then a postdoc, then being a professor of economics, then publishing and writing books in economics. Right? So there's a level of scholastic learning in every area and discipline of knowledge. So this I is establishing, number one, the existence of scholasticism in the deen of Islam. And that fact that that is a dedicated, lifelong pursuit, and this is not for everyone to do. Other thing this I is establishing, which is another failure in Pakistan, is that some people from every taifa are supposed to do this. That taifa can be understood in every way. We need women to do this. We need all ethnicities to do this. We need people from all types of socio-economic backgrounds to do this. We need people who do this, then they should specialize maybe in the ahkam of bioethics and test tube baby. Some will specialize in the ahkam of what type of government should Islam have. Some should specialize in the ahkam of how zakat should be collected today. We need people from all groups and segments of society doing it in all segments and areas of deen. And you don't have that, especially this class. The upper, the English educated elites of this country don't send their children for tafakku fiddin. They don't do that. That's the last thing. The mother will have a heart attack. Huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or near heart attack. If her son tells her that she's going, he's going to go study in a madrasa. Hmm? This is a problem. So actually this ayah is explained. Next thing this ayah shows, watch this. This ayah is telling sahaba, sahaba mujahideen. That when you come back, when you come back, you are going to follow Fuqahai Sahaba. It's telling Sahaba Mujahideen that when you come back, you are going to follow Fuqahai Sahaba. So if within Sahaba this distinction was made, that there is one dedicated class of scholars called Fuqaha, and all the others called the Qawm, and the entire Qawm is going to follow and take guidance from Fuqaha, that is called Taqlid. Taqlid means for a non-jurist to follow the legal position of a jurist. That's what taqlid means in Quranic and Hadith understanding. It's unfortunate today that there's another certain group and certain foundations and ideologies that like to spread this, that taqlid means blind following. If you want to say that, then you should accuse Allah Ta'ala in Quran of telling Mujahideen Sahaba to blindly follow Fuqahai Sahaba. Na'udhu billah ala No. In every area, governments hire expert economics, econ- economists, and the budget is made by them. Right? In every area of knowledge and expertise, the non-experts always defer to the judgment of the experts. And this is exactly what Allah Ta'ala is making clear in Qur'an. This ayah in Qur'an is crystal clear, irrefutable proof that there will be people who have tafakko, and the people who don't have tafakko must follow the people who have tafakko. Right? Now what that tafakku is, and that's 
for the entire Islamic jurisprudence course, right? But it's clearly not something that can be done in a one or two year diploma course. It is not being done by reading hadith on your own. Because Maud Mujahideen Sahaba, they knew hadith. These Mujahideen Sahaba who are being told when they come back, they have to follow the Fuqahai Sahaba. Those Sahaba knew hadith, they're Sahaba Ikram. It's not just knowing hadith. It's not just knowing Quran. It's not just knowing Quran and hadith. All Sahaba knew Quran and hadith. All Sahaba knew Quran and Hadith. Right? Very important ayah. This one ayah can clear up large amounts of misconception and misrepresentation that unfortunately takes place today. Right? Okay. 123 onwards. Okay, now Allah is going back to the Ahkam of Kitab, Fisa Bilallah. That's we're going to try to move now. Oh, you believe you should fight Fight the unjust aggressors and those disbelievers who were near you, the ones who were unjust aggressors and, right, and, and that they were in your reach, you should fight them, and they should find in you, they should find a sternness and a resolve in you, you should know indeed that Allah SWT is with the people of taqwa. When the surah is sent down, some of them, which is the munafikun, they say that whose faith from among you has been increased by this? Remember we did earlier that one of the signs of the believers is that their iman is increased, when? The ayat are recited to them. So the munafikin mocked that and said, whose iman is increased? Right? So what did the, mm, what did the believers respond? Fazadatum imanum muhum yastabshirun. Now indeed, the mu'mineen, their iman has increased. And indeed, they are yastabshirun. They are extremely rejoiceful and happy and joyous over these ayat that have come. For those who have a spiritual disease in their spiritual hearts, فَزَادَتْهُمْ رِجْسًا إِلَىٰ رِجْسِهِمْ That it, this additional, the more and more Qur'an they hear, it makes them from bring to one abomination into another, one impurity into another, such that ultimately what will happen, kafirun, And they will die in such a state that they are unbelievers. Do they not gaze and do they not reflect and do they not see that they are put to trial and they are put into fitna? The unbelievers are put into fitna. What it means that they are put into tribulation, right? Either once or twice a year they are facing this defeat at the hands of the mu'min. Don't they reflect at these defeats? Don't they see the mother, the nusrat of Allah is coming on believers? If nothing else, their defeat on the battlefields to make them realize that we are on evil and we are on falsehood and we are wrong to try to be aggressive against this community and rather we should join this community, they don't realize that, right? Allah Ta'ala says, still, thumma la yutubuna, even then they still fail to make tawbah, walahum yadhakkaroon, and then there are also people who refuse to take heed and take guidance and learn from the nasiha of Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright. 128 onwards. And, So when a surah is revealed down and sent down by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these hypocrites say, look at one another. As if they're saying that, is there somebody who is watching you? Is there somebody who is watching you? And then they turn away. Then they turn away. So what does it mean? So here Mufti Taki Sahib is saying that they were so averse to the verses of Quran that they tried their best not to listen to them. And if they happened to be sitting in that gathering in which the verses were recited for the first time, then they would turn away. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Actually, what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala done to them? Sarafallahu kulubahum bi annuhum kumun la yafkahoon. 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has averted their hearts, Allah ta'ala has averted their hearts from these verses of revelation, and specifically Allah ta'ala has averted their hearts, means has prevent their hearts from increasing in iman and being softened by these verses of revelation. Why? Because they're a community who don't understand. So you had now the community of understanding, and now you have mention of who, what, who are the people who don't have tafakku, people who don't have fiqh, they are people whose hearts have been averted from the real meaning and understanding of the verses of Revelation. This is another one of the most, and I have said that to you many times, right? But uh, this is another one of the most incredible and greatest ayat of Quran al-Kareem. And these uh, ayat, these last two ayat of Surah At-Tawbah, Surahs one, uh, verses 128-129, is also viewed in the tradition to be a zabardas nuskha. Hmm. Zabradas Nuskhan people used to recite these two ayat. And what is these two ayat? Indeed, O believers, know that has come to you a beloved messenger and Prophet who has come to you from your own selves. Azizun anittum that it weighs heavily on him and he grows very weary due to the things that you do. In other words, that the things that you do, ma anittum, and here this, this, this translation is not actually so good, the things that you do, right, are distressing to him. The things that you do weigh heavily on him. It means two things. Number one, it means that the difficulties that you are put in when he sees Sahaba Ikram in difficulty, it weighs heavily on him. And it can also mean when he sees the ummah in difficulty, it weighs heavily on him. It can also mean the sins that we commit weigh heavily on him. The sins that we commit weigh heavily on him. Second thing about the Prophet ﷺ, harisun alaykum. That second thing is that he is haris, he is extremely desirous of you. He is extremely desirous of you. Here he's translated that he's very anxious for your welfare. Yes, he is anxious for your welfare when difficulty befalls you. And when difficulty befalls you, the initial meaning is sahab When you go fi sabilallah and you face these difficulties, the Prophet ﷺ feels it. And it weighs heavily on him that you have to go through these difficulties. And he's extremely desirous that these difficulties should be relieved from you and from your welfare. But harisun alaykum has a much more umum mana, much more wide meaning. Haris means he's extremely desirous of you. He wants to swallow you up. And alaykum, right? Alaykum because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, right? That this is, and you're going to see, right? Bil mu'mineen. This is for all mu'mineen. So it means Nabi Akhlim is deeply desirous of you. He's crazy about his mu'mineen. Not just the Sahaba Mu'mineen, the Prophet is crazy about the Mu'mineen. So a person should also try to make themselves haris for him. A person should read this ayah and say, Ya Allah, if you're telling me that my Nabi Akhlim harisun alaykum, that he's extremely crazy about me, desirous of me, has hairs, he's crazy about me, wants to swallow me whole. Hmm? That I should be the same way about him and his sunnah. I should have hairs for the sunnah. I should make me haris for his sunnah, make his haris for his adab, make his make me haris for his sirah, make me haris for his surah, make me haris for his akhlaq, make me haris for his zahir, make me haris for his button. That's who the mu'mineen are. The mu'mineen are those who are harisun back. They're harisun back. And third thing that's mentioned about the Prophet Bil Mu'manina Raufur Rahim. Allahu Akbar. When Allah Ta'ala wanted to describe how Nabi Kareem Sassam felt about all mu'mineen bil mu'mineen, Allah Ta'ala could not find any word outside and other than his asmal husna that would do it justice. He had to take two words in Arabic that are used to describe his own sifat from his own asmal husna, ra'ufun rahimun, 
that that only those words can accurately explain how Nabi Akram Sassam feels about the Mu'mini. That Nabi Akram Sassam is Ra'uf, he's extremely gentle-hearted, tender-hearted, benevolent, kind, and loving. And his Rahim is extremely merciful, extremely soft and merciful, bil mu'minina, for all mu'minin. So it means we should also be Ra'uf and Rahim with him. We should be soft and delicate and not violate a relationship with him. We should be Ra'uf and Rahim with the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. We should be soft and delicate with it. This is one of the most most beloved ayat in Quran al-Kareem that explain the relationship between Nabi Akram and, uh, and his ummati. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا And if they turn away from such a Nabi like you, such a Nabi like you who is Harisun alaykum, such a Nabi like you that is Rufun Rahim, and they, and they still turn away from you, then Fakul say to them, my beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient for me. I don't need you. I don't need you. La ilaha illahu, that there is no being worthy of worship, no deity, no divinity except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alayhi tawakkal too. And indeed I rely and trust and have tawakkal on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala alone. Wa huwa rabbul arshil adheem. And my Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the rabb of al arshil adheem. He is the rabb of the arshil adheem. He is rabb of the magnificent throne. He is the rub of the magnificent throne which gov- from which he governs and mm, all of the realms and dominions of this world. Alright? So here we end Surah Tawbah. Inshallah we'll take a very short break and then we'll come back and we'll begin with Surah Yunus. Surah Yunus. Okay. <coughs> surah Yunus is the tenth surah of Quran al-Karim. Surah Yunus was revealed in Makkah Makarimah before the migration of Sayyidina Rasulullah to Madinah Manawara. However, there are certain verses, few verses, verses number 40 and 94 and 95, that some of the Mufassirun view, feel that they may have been revealed in Madinah Manawara, but they're not 100% sure. This I will mention also too, that sometimes people are perplexed by this, that why is it that we're not sure? We should know exactly when and where each and every verse was revealed. To actually know. We actually don't know exactly where each and every verse was. No Mufassir has ever claimed that they can know definitively about each and every single verse when it was revealed. But the reason why that's not a problem is that because the Qur'an al-Karim is a universal book. It has a universal message. And perhaps, Allah Wallam, or perhaps this was one of the hikmah or wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He didn't want people to view it as something that is embedded exclusively in a particular context and historicize it and view it as a text that only spoke to that particular historical community. Perhaps that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has arranged it in such, I mean that Allah ta'ala inspired the Prophet to arrange it in such a way that it has done not in the sequence and the order it was revealed and not knowing about each and every single verse which came, which was revealed first or which was revealed later which was revealed in Makkah Makarma which was revealed before Hijrah which was revealed after Hijrah but rather in a way that it makes it a universal message for all of humanity. Right? Okay. This surah is going to be focusing on again the three major themes that most of the Makki surahs do. It has 109 ayat and we're talking about Tawheed, Risala and Akhirah. Sometimes in Arabic books we call Akhirah Mabda wa Ma'ad. 
And that means that the three core areas of Iman, belief that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one, belief in the Kareem sallallahu and the proper understanding of prophethood and prophecy, and mab'akhira, means hereafter, life after the mabda and ma'ad, origins and our ultimate destiny. Right? And obviously there's going to be mention of the story of Sayyidina Yunus salam, as well as again mention of the story of Sayyidina Musa salam, and again some mention of Sayyidina Nu salam. Okay, Okay, we have discussed that before, that these are huruf muqatta'at, right? And only Allah Ta'ala knows best. Here only one interesting feature you'll mention, that up till now, if I'm not mistaken, you've only seen huruf muqatta'at, that they themselves form an ayah. And here, there's huruf muqatta'at plus a sentence, a phrase from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, together which make up an ayah. And what is that? Tilka ayatul kitab al-hakim. That indeed these are the verses of the revelation of that book, which is the book of wisdom. So the rub that you could say here again, and this is an ishara, that alif lam ra itself has, is, is been revealed by the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is a verse that is revealed due to the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In his wisdom he has chosen to reveal at occasion certain letters that actually do not contain in them an identifiable meaning for our hidayah, but there is some wisdom in it that is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we believe in that wisdom without necessarily being able to ascertain it. And also by knowing that being able able to ascertain or discover that wisdom does not affect our <coughs> hidayah in any way. <coughs> that does humanity have any wonder and amazement? <coughs> that we sent our wahi, we sent scriptural revelations down to human beings and men from amongst humanity. So again, it's talking about the concept of prophethood and prophecy, right? That some people itself find this troubling or find it fascinating. I mean, not fascinating, but find it troubling or find it hard to believe, right? Find it hard to believe. And anzir al-nasa wa ladina amanu, so that they can warn and admonish humanity and they may give glad tidings uh, to those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anna sidkin in the rabbihim, and then surely they will be in the give glad tidings to those who believe that they will surely have a good standing, a noble standing, a great standing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with their Rabb. قَالُوا الْكَافِرُونَ إِنَّ هَذَا لَسَاهِرُ مُبِينَ However, the unbelievers simply say about the Prophet ﷺ that he, this is he, meaning about the Prophet ﷺ, that this is nothing other than a clear and manifest magician. <coughs> And indeed your Rabb is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that being who created all the realms that lie above and this earth. If he sits at Ayamin in six intervals, six time periods, الأرش, and then he mm, focused himself on the Arsh. I've already explained this whole, both of these things to you. Yudabbar uh, al-Amr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this tadbir of every matter and affair, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plans and directs each and every matter and affair. Mamin Shafi'in illa mim ba'di idnihi. And there will be no one who, there will be no intercessor who is allowed to offer his intercession except after the idn, the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This ayah we also did with you before when we talked about the concept of intercession. Allah ta'ala will permit whomsoever he wills to intercede. Dalakum Allah rabbukum fa'buduhu afalata dhakkaroon. That indeed know that this is your rub. This is Allah, your rub, so that you should worship him and worship him alone. And will you not? 
not be a person who takes counsel, who takes heed, who takes admonishment and advice from the Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright. Here, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this part in this ayah, يُدَّبِّرُ uh, amr. This is to negate a concept which in theology we call the notion of the absent God, or that God is just the prime mover and prime originator, but then He did not involved in the world. Right? And that is what some theists actually believed. They believed in one supreme being, but their belief of that one supreme being was that He was just a khalik and that's it. That He created the world and then He had nothing to do with the world whatsoever. And some took it so far that he has no interest in the world whatsoever. And some took it so far that he has no interest in human beings whatsoever. And some took it so far that he couldn't care less what human beings do or don't do, whether they worship him or not, whether they do good or bad. There is no accounting, no reckoning, no judging. And I'm mentioning this because just like this was an ancient philosophy, this is also a type of secular theism that has come up. So in order that a person can save themselves from outright atheism, so they don't say there's no God, they say, yeah, I believe in a God. Or they may even say, I believe in God. But they don't believe in the Quran and God concept. They don't believe in a God of revelation and prophets. They don't believe in a God who is going to call to account in their judgment. They don't believe in a God who is Al-Aziz, Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbar, Zu-Intikam, Al-A'la, Al-Azim. They don't believe in that. They have their own philosophical or fanciful idea of what God is. Right? So sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses some of those misbeliefs as well. So this is saying that Allah ta'ala is intimately involved in the world. He not just creates it, but He is running and planning each and every single thing that takes place in this world. The height of this in Islamic theology is Ashari theology. Imam Abul Hassan al-Ashari ta'ala has articulated this aspect of Quranic theology perhaps in its fullest extent, such that Imam al-Ghazali, who was one of his uh, one of the leading people in the line, in this line, would, would explain that no single drop of rain even falls except that it is accompanied by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That nothing, not even no atom can move on this earth, in this universe, except that its movement is accompanied and by the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. <clears throat> <coughs> to him is the return for each and every one of you in entirety. And indeed the promise of Allah SWT is true. What promise? The promise that there will be a resurrection, that there will be a life after death. This is, <coughs> all of this is true. Indeed Allah SWT is the one who originally originated, i.e. made the creation. And Allah SWT is also that being who will bring it again into life. Yuidu who will again bring it to life means resurrection after death. By the Yadzilladina Amanu Salahat so that Allah Ta'ala may reward those who believe and those who do good deeds be kissed with equitable justice. And those who disbelieve, they will have a beverage to drink minhameen. <coughs> minhameen means here a drink of a boiling water. Here I remember some of the modernists. Uh, and even Muhammad Asr actually unfortunately has translated the word Hamim instead of boiling water he says that they will face a terrible grief and this is another way that Quran is mistranslated that ayat that are clearly meant literally they are taken metaphorically and they are taken figuratively so no they will actually literally the unbelievers in Jahannam will literally be given a drink sharabun, a beverage that is consists of scalding boiling hot water and they will face a painful punishment due to all of the things that they disbelieved in, due to all of the acts of disbelief that they perpetrated, due to a life that they lived that was perpetually on disbelief. 
on it. These things have come up, all of these things have come up earlier in Qur'an al-Kareem. The issue of six days also I did for you earlier in Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? Allah is the being who created the <coughs> sun as a light and the moon as a light. Now here some of the Mufassirun have taken that why did Allah use different words here. So some have tried to take a scientific approach to it by suggesting that the sun is a dhiya, which means something that has its own light. And the qamar, obviously, as you know, the moon has no light. It's just reflection. It's the sunlight on the moon that you see at night time. Right? And depending on the location of the moon and the orbits of the earth and the moon and the sun, sometimes you see part of the reflection. Sometimes you don't see it at all. Sometimes you see the full moon. Right? But the moon itself doesn't have any light. Allahum, perhaps, perhaps Allah is making an ishara in that way. Alright? Uh, but that much is there definitely that Dhiya'an is considered in Arabic language to be a much more intense so intense light than Nur is. So that much one can extract from the language. Waqaddaruhu manazila and Allah subhanahu has set orbits and stages and cycles for them. So that you may learn and calculate the number of years, so your calendar, well, hisab, and that you may be able to calculate and monitor as well. So it could mean, hisab can mean counting the days, so that you may count the years, and you may be able to count the days as well. Counting the day is the solar day, and again, the years is based on the lunar months. Allah has not made any of this except out of His truth and His veracity. Allah exposes and makes clear the verses of His revelation for a community who wishes to know or a community who is a people of knowledge. In the alteration of the night into the day and in each and every single thing that Allah has created in the realms that lie above and on this earth, in all of this physical creation and natural creation are signs for such people who have taqwa. So this is another answer that sometimes people say that I don't understand. The Quran says that the physical universe contains signs that will lead to belief in Allah. And I know so many scientists who aren't believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they in fact reflect upon and ponder over and know these signs better than even we do. So it must mean that that, that part of Quran is wrong. That reflecting on the signs will lead to Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, who is it a sign for? لَآيَاتٍ لَكَوْمِ يَتَّكُونَ that for that community that fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will view this as a sign. So the atheist scientist is not, is not part of, qawmi yattakun, is not part of a community that fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That said, still, there may, there may be and there have been uh, some of them in recent times who have accepted iman. And you should also know, and that's another workshop we had planned for you, by the way. I just prepared it in Oxford when I was there. Religion and Science. And you'd be amazed actually that all of the famous scientists up till this century were all believers. Now, obviously they weren't believers in Islam, many of them, but they were believers in a God. point is to say they were non-atheists. Whether it's Newton, whether it's Einstein, whether it's Copernicus, whether it's Galileo. So all the people who discovered, the master scientists who discovered these laws of physics that today's atheist physicists are just doing <laughs> the clean of, I put it that way, right? Who are simply following. All of those master scientists were all theists, all believed in a God. 
So even then, because there are other ayat in Al-Fanta, says the Qawmiyyat the Barun, right? So it means that yes, they were people who reached that level of tafakkur, at the Einsteinian, Newtonian level, they will also realize there's a God. And by their own admission, physicists say that there is no physicist alive today who's of the caliber of Einstein. They don't, they say it themselves. There is no Einstein of today. Alright? So, okay, alright. A little bit for the university kids. Alright. Indeed, those who do not yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This is saying, so again, what are the emotions we're supposed to have? Our emotion is supposed to be, we yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. dunya, And to those people who don't yearn to meet Allah, they are pleased and content with the life of this world. They're enjoying life. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're completely fine over here. Right? So Quran is saying, we're supposed to be the other way around. We, we don't feel any enjoyment and pleasure here. We're yearning to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَتْمَأَنُّوا بِهَا And they take itminan from the life of this world. Right? Their serenity and contentment lies in worldly pleasures, worldly hobbies, worldly pastimes. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ أَنْ آيَاتِنَا غَافِلُونَ And those who are neglectful and heedless of our signs. أُولَٰئِكَ مَأْوَاهُمُ النَّارِ that these are the people whose destiny and whose ultimate abode will be the fire of Jahannam, bimakanu yaksibun, by means of the things that they used to do, the acts they used to commit. Now again, I mentioned that whenever we mention, whenever we see in Quran Karim descriptions of unbelievers, we should be make sure that those descriptions aren't in us. Are we enjoying the world? Are we content with the world? Do we take pleasure from the world? Or are we people who don't yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or are we neglectful of Allah ta'ala's verses of revelation or of His signs? All of these are attributes actually that more accurately and are supposed to describe the unbelievers. As far as the believers, indeed the believers, those who believe in those who do righteous works, their rub will guide them by means of their iman and they will live in, they will have gardens underneath which rivers flow. They will have blessed gardens underneath which rivers flow. All right. And da'awahum fiha. Okay, this is something new. Da'awahum fiha. Subhanakallahumma wa tahiyyatuhum fiha. Salam. Da'awahum. What is the call? What will they be saying to one another? What will be their takya kalam for the inhabitants of Jannah? What will they say? They will be saying, Subhanakallahumma. That Allah subhanahu oh Allah, that Subhanaka, you are pure, you are exalted, you are immaculate, you are flawless. Glory be to you. And what to hear to whom, and what will be their greeting in that place? Salam. That they will be greeted with salam from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa akhirud da'wahum, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. And their final statement that they make, the final call that they make will be, that all praises for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the rub of the alameen, the rub of all of the universe. Alright, all of this is relatively standard stuff. few other things in other verses of Qur'an will come about additional details about Jannah, so we will do them when they come. وَلَوْ يَعْجِلُ اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ الشَّرَّ That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hastens evil to a people, as they hasten, as they hasten to seek, as they wish that good would hasten their way, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hastens that evil should befall them, whereas their wish was that khair should come to them quickly. لَقُضِيَ alayhim أَجَلَهُمْ Then their term would have expired, which means their life on earth will have expired. فَنَذَرُ الَّذِينَ لَا يَرْجُونَ لَكَ So therefore we should be, thus do we warn 
uh, thus are warned those who do not have any hope in meeting, do not yearn or hope in meeting us, that they are floundering around blindly. Ya'mahun means literally blind, but they are groping around or floundering around blindly in their tuyan, in their sarkashi, in their disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that we leave Allah, we leave those who do not yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we leave them floundering and drowning in their own sinful rebellion and transgression. Right? وَإِذَا مَسَلْ إِنسَانَ دَعَانَا That whenever any hardship or adversity afflicts humanity, so who do they call? They pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْقَائِدًا أَوْقَائِمًا Whether they're lying on their side or they're sitting or they're standing. فَلَمَّا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ ذُرَّهُ And when Allah says, when we remove their hardship from them, مَرَّ كَانَ لَمْ يَدْعُنَا then you see that when Allah removes hardship from them, then they, they continue on their way as if they had never ever made du'as for us. As if they were somebody who never prayed to us. And they never prayed to us in any hardship that had afflicted them. And thus Allah Ta'ala says that we delude and we, we make delusionally attractive and beautiful the actions of people who are transgressors. وَلَكَاتْ أَحْلَقْنَ الْقُرُونَ مِنْ كَمْلِكُمْ And Antas indeed we have destroyed and caused to perish many many communities and many many generations, many generations before you. لَمَّا ظَلَمُوا When they were wrongdoers, when they were sinners, when they were transgressors. وَجَاءَتْهُمْ رُسُلُهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ And indeed the prophets of Allah, their prophets came to them with clear and manifest signs. It can mean books of revelation, scripture, it can mean hikmah, teaching, it can mean signs in terms of miracles. Prophets came with all of the, you know, trappings of prophecy. وَمَا كَانُوا لِيُؤْمِنُوا However, these people were not at all prepared to believe in them. كَذَلَكَ نَزِلْ قَوْمُ الْمُجْرِمِينَ Such, Allah says, such, and this is how that we punish a community of evildoers and of people who are guilty of wrongdoing. So all of this is being addressed actually in the early period of Makkah Mukarramah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Ahli Makkah that you're denying this Prophet. It's not the first time this has happened. Before you, there were communities to whom prophets were sent and they denied their prophet. And you should know what befell those communities. They were punished due to their denial of their prophet and they ended up in misguidance and they ended up dying in disbelief. Right? ثُمَّ جَأَلْنَاكُمْ خَلَائِفَ فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ And we have made you successors to all of them. That you are now the last group to whom the last prophet is being sent. And you have just, in other words, Allah is showing us the philosophy of human history. That we have inherited the earth from who we have inherited, even we, but specifically them, but even us as well, but more long term, we have inherited the earth from generations of humans to whom prophets were sent. And they also inherited the earth from an earlier generation of humans to whom a prophet was sent. And they also inherited the earth from humans to whom prophets were sent. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again, and we've done this before, Allah ta'ala is setting up this uh, continual theme in history of man, the history of humanity, that humanity is the name of none other than that creation, to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continually sends prophets. Alright. لِنَنْذَرَ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ So that we may see how is it that you will behave and how you will act. Will you do amal on these teachings or not? Alright.
verses number 15 onwards. Everything that, everything that we've done so far, we've commented on already. And so when our verses are recited to them, those who do not aspire and yearn to meet us, those who do not yearn and yearn to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so what do they say? They say, okay, this is something, they say, uh, that you should bring a recitation other than this. Here Quran literally means you should bring a scriptural, a recited scriptural revelation that is other than this. Bring us some other Quran. Or they say, oh, baddil, oh, baddil hu, or you should change it in some way. Go say to them, my beloved Mr. nafsi, that it does not in any way befit me, behoove me, it's not at all in the slightest way permissible for me, for me to change this Quran al-Kareem of my own accord, right, from my own self. In attabi'u illa ma yuha ilayya, in attabi'u illa ma yuha ilayya, say to them, my Prophet that I do not follow anything other than that which has been revealed to me. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through the Prophet telling these people what a Prophet is. A Prophet is the name of that human being who receives revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and does nothing other than follow what is revealed to him. Right? Inni akhafu in asaytu rabbi adhaba yawmin azim. Allahu Akbar. Now all of this is what Allah Ta'ala told the Prophet to say. All of this is after Qul, right? This is the Makula for those of you who study Arabic. All of this is the Makula. It's a quote. And quote is only after Adim. So Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet that you should tell them. Allah Akbar. Look, and it means Allah Ta'ala is also instilling fear in the Prophet Look at the Azmat and Shan and Kibriyai of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That same Allah who is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, who is Ar-Ru'uf Al-Tawab, is telling the Prophet tell these people, Inni Akhafu, that I'm afraid that if I disobey my Rabb, that what do I fear? I fear Azab Yom and Adim. I also fear a punishment on that tremendous day. And say to them, Allah Akbar, say to them, say to these people, that if Allah Ta'ala willed, if it was the will of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala, I would never recite this scriptural revelation to you. I would never do tilawat of this Quran upon you. Wala adrakum bihi. And, you, and nor would I have ever even given you idraq, I would never have made you aware of it, I would never even informed you about it. فَكَدْ لَبِثْتُ فِيكُمْ أُمَرَمْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ And indeed, I have already lived a large portion of my life amongst you. So here Nabi Akhrim is being told by Allah found that if you want to present to them a miracle, one miracle you can sign of them is your own life. Say, I've lived in front of you, you know me, you've seen me. You called me Sadiq al-Ameen, you deposit your trust with me, you ask me to do sulah between you. So this is a great miracle, Allah is showing Quran. This is a sign, the life of the the Sirat, Hayati Tayyibah, Sirat Mubarak of Nabi even before the Izhar and Nabuot, even before Nabuot was made manifested clear on him, even that is a sign. Afala taqilun, don't you have sense? Don't you have sense? So Allah subhanahu is telling about some, but Allah is also addressing people. Don't you have sense? فَمَنْ أَدْلَمُوا مِنْ اَفْتَرَى اللَّهِ كَذَبَ Who can there, who can there be who is more unjust than that person who invents and fabricates lies and attributes those lies to Allah subhanahu ta'ala وَكَذَبَ بِبَعَاتِينَ repudiates and falsifies the verses of his revelation إِنَّهُ لَا يُلِفْلَهُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ Indeed, the reality is that the mujrimun, the criminals, the wrongdoers, the people who are guilty will never ever have falah, they will never ever be successful.
Alright. The Shana Nuzul here is that five people from Makkah Makkah came to the Prophet and told him that we will believe in you as a Prophet, but we want you to come as the Prophet of our idols. So bring another Quran, make the Quran talk about Lat and Manat and Uzza and all of that. And if you bring a Quran like that, we're happy to follow you. So it means that it also shows you how foolish these people were, that they're not willing to follow. I mean, if, if, I mean, not the problem would ever do that, but let's say somebody did that for them. It's clear that person is not worthy of being following, right? A person who's willing to change their revelation for the whims and fancies of their followers. But that's what they wanted, because their skewed concept was that a prophet should just be their own leader, should be a leader who perpetuates their tribal beliefs, to perpetuate their pre-Islamic religious beliefs. All right? Okay. So these ayat were, res- were revealed by Al-Spanta in response to this, in response to this question that these mushrikeen had said. So what did Al-Spanta say? وَيَعْبَدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ And they worship other than Al-Spanta. مَا لَا يُذُرُّهُمْ وَكَنَاتْ حَرْمْدًا وَيَوْمَا وَلَا يَنْفَأُهُمْ And cannot benefit them in way. وَيَكُولُونَ هَأُولَاءِ شُفَاءُنَا and they say that these are idols and our false gods are going to intercede with us. They are our intercessors in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They will protect us from Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then responds, Kul say to them, my beloved Mr. Sam, Atunabbi'unallaha bima la ya'lamu fis samawati wa la fil ard. Subhanahu. Are you telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are you bringing to Allah ta'ala's notice? Right? Something that he supposedly doesn't know, as if he doesn't know. That which is in... Uh, that which it relies on realms above and laws on this earth, Subhanahu wa Taala, Amma Yishrikud, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is pure and exalted, far above all the things that you ascribe and attribute to Him. And indeed, humanity was just a single nation, was a single community. In other words, at the time of Sayyidina Adam al Islam, humanity, I did this for you also. This also came before Muhammad. And then they differed between one another. They differed one another between number one, when the prophets were sent, the difference started between those who follow Prophet and don't follow prophets. That's how humanity first split. That first Sayyidina Adam al Islam, that's one human being. Then after him, then they were people who either followed the prophets or don't follow the prophets. That's the real schism. So as far as the Quran is concerned, the only schism and differentiation between humanity are those who follow Anbiya and those who don't follow Anbiya. And if it was not for a decree that had come earlier from your Rabb, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it would already have been decided concerning all, already it would have been decided all those matters concerning about which they differed. What does it mean that Allah Subhanahu has decreed that He is going to handle these issues on the Day of Judgment? Otherwise, if it wasn't for Allah Ta'ala's own wish and decision to settle these issues on the Day of Judgment, He would have resolved them all right now. In other words, some of them were saying that look, if, if, if Islam is, you are with the Prophet, Islam is correct and we are wrong, Allah Ta'ala should make it clear. He should make it clear that we're wrong and we're right. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no, it's his own decree, it's his own wish that these things uh, will be made ultimately settled on the day of judgment. Right? وَيُكُولُونَ So these unbelievers say, لَوْلَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّهِ That why is a sign not revealed to him from his Rabb? So they're mocking the Prophet means why is not some miracle sent to him? So the Prophet said, is, is said that, Kul say to them, Fakul say to them, my blessed Prophet, innamal ghaybulillahi, that indeed all the realms of the unseen are only and only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fantaziru, you should wait, inni ma'akum min al muntazirin, we've done this before, you should wait, and indeed I am going to wait with you. Okay? And even then we did earlier that even if miracles and signs did come, these people would not believe anyway. All of these things we have done 
before and before. Some of you may be wondering this question, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repeat himself so much in Quran? Some of you may have this question. I even used to have this question when I used to read Quran, right? So one answer to this is that uh, what do we say in Arabic number one, ma taqallara, that thing which is repeated becomes strong and reinforced. The second way they explain this is that which is repeated is for taqid. The third way to do this is you have to remember that the Quran Kareem was revealed over 22 plus years and there were so many encounters of the Prophet ﷺ with so many different types of mushrikeen that the mushrikeen did in fact continually need that they should keep being told these things. And it's the manifestations of Allah Ta'ala's mercy. It may appear to you that this is continual daunt, but actually it's continual jirki to invite people back to Islam. And every time some ayat like this came, one or two people would accept Islam. Allah Ta'ala would keep shaking people out of their kufr, right? And every time He shook them, a few would come out. A few would come out, right? Another reason why these things are repeated in terms of our sense, because we are not experiencing this through a 22 plus year process for us it's uh, mm, we we've received the whole Quran right uh, holistically piecemeal so for us when we're reading through Quran and we see these verses that are repeated right again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's really about this notion what I said earlier of humanity humanity and the history of humanity and the purpose of humanity and this point needs to be driven home over and over and over again that humanity is all about being oriented towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and, the, and that orientation is an orientation of Tawheed where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has exclusive divinity, exclusive deity, the soul God, right? And many believers need to realize that also. Now we may not be doing shirk in terms of idols, but we cannot say our, we have such wahdaniyah and what we call sometimes in the Persians, in those Arabic, the Persians have this term tawheed matlab We're not as single we don't have, we're not so singular in our purpose. We're not so driven and we're not so focused in our orientation to Allah SWT. So these verses should also have the emotional effect of snapping us back into place. Of snapping us back into place. Alright. <coughs> so verses 21 onwards. <coughs> وَإِذَا ذَكْنَ النَّاسَ رَحْمَةً مِّن بَعْدِ ذَرَّاءَ مَسَّتْهُمْ That when Allah SWT says, and then we cause a group of humanity to experience our mercy, the mercy of Allah SWT, after some hardship or difficulty had afflicted them, إِذَا لَهُمْ مَكْرٌ فِي آيَاتِنَا But what did they do instead? They started devising plans against our verses. So say to them, my beloved Messiah, Allahu أَسْرَعُ مَكْرَ That Allah Ta'ala is much swifter in planning than any one of you. And indeed, our emissaries here, Rusul means emissaries, means the angels, our emissaries from the angels are going to record each and everything that you plot. Now why do the angels record it? They don't record, their act of recording it is not what brings it into the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they're making a record of it is what enables that record of deeds to be a hujjat, to be a proof against these plotters on the Day of Judgment. Right? Okay. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it on the Day of Judgment. A person's own deeds should testify against him. It shouldn't be have even the surah that Allah ta'ala is testifying against him. As if Allah ta'ala is against them. Or as if they're two equal adversaries in a court of law. No. It will be a person and their own deeds. A person's deeds will be the adversary against a person on the Day of Judgment. Not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being? Who has allowed you to travel or has made you travel uh, on... But on land and sea. 
so much so that uh, until the time comes that when you were aboard the ships and you and you were sailing by them and you were sailing a ship and a favorable wind comes and you're pleased with it and then there comes when a strong wind or violent wind comes and shakes them and the waves from the oceans come upon them from each and every side. So then they think that they are surrounded by adversity and hardship. And then what they do at this moment, At that moment they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having sincere, complete faith in it. Right? So it means, and this is the nature of human being, when adversity and difficulty comes upon a person, they turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but when he removes that difficulty, they go back right back to forgetting him, as if there was no difficulty, as if there was no dua they made, as if there was no Allah who removed that hardship from them in the first place. So what is the dua that they make? لَإِنْ أَنْجَيْتَنَا مِنْ هَذِهِ That oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you save us from this, لَنَكُونَنَّا مِنَ الشَّاكِرِينَ Indeed we will be amongst the grateful ones. In fact we did a very similar ayah like this earlier as well. So indeed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rescues them, what do they do? هُمْ يَبْغُونَ فِي الْأَرْضِ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ They start rebelling and spreading sedition and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth without any, completely unjustly or without any warrant or authority. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنَّمَا بَغْيُكُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِكُمْ That all humanity know that your baghawat, your rebellion, your anarchy, your sarkash, your disobedience is all going to be only Allah anfusikum to your own detriment. It does not hurt and harm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. It's only you're only hurting and harming your own selves. Mata'ul hayat dunya And what are you doing? You are seeking. Uh, you are seeking to enjoy the pleasures of this world. However, now the thumma ilayna marji'ukum, that after that indeed towards us is your return, for nabiyukum bima kuntum ta'amalun, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform each and every one of you about each and every single thing that you used to do. Alright. All of this, is, these are all common things that we have done before. Some of them are things that we have specifically exactly done before. Here Allah Ta'ala is going to coin now a simile or a metaphor. This is verse number 24. Indeed the likeness or similitude or metaphor of the life of this world is just like the water, i.e. the rain that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we send down from the sky. And then all of the different crops and produce and vegetables and fruits and plants right, grew from this earth by means of that water. And all of that vegetation is eaten by men and livestock and land animals. can literally mean cattle, but it means that the animals on the land and the human beings on the land all benefit from and eat from all of those plants and crops and vegetation that Allah Ta'ala causes to grow from the earth by means of His rain. Until when, until such a time, Hatta إِذَا أَخَذَتِ الْأَرْضُ زُخْرُفَهَا That until the earth adopts her splendor, becomes beautified, right? What does it mean that the earth becomes verdant and you have crops and fruits and produce abundant and aplenty? So imagine saying fields and fields of crops and fruit and vegetable, right? So that is what it means that the earth has that beauty. So then what happens? So then those who were living on that earth, who were the inhabitants of that earth, they started to think that annuhum qadiruna alayha, they started to think that they are the masters of earth. They started to think that they are the masters over earth. This is another good ayah for the environmentalists, right? This is an environmentally friendly ayah of Quran al Ataha amruna. Laylan o Nahara. 
So Allah subhanahu wa says that our command and our decree comes to that earth and they're not the masters of this earth. Allah is saying it's our decree and our command and our rule that comes to it. Layl al-Nahara that comes to it night and day. That comes to it, this earth, night and day. And it's up, to, it's our decree, Fajal Naha, that we will make it. Hasidan ka, Hasidan ka bil amsi. And we will turn it into a, you know, here Allah subhanahu wa means, he's used the word stubble, it's good, it means that he's going to sever. Hasid is going to finish all those verdant fields and lush green groves and fruit orchards and crops and harvests and vegetable tunnels and all of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can just scythe it. I mean, I, you know, like there's that, slice it away, rend it just like stubble, right? Literally like, you know, stubble, just rend it little, little dots of grass, dots of vegetation, alright? As if it had never even existed before. As if there was no yesterday, as if yesterday it was not plush and verdant. Thus does Allah SWT make clear His verses of revelation for that, for those who ponder. So here Allah SWT simply mentioning the transitory nature of this world. And what was it Allah Ta'ala said that this was a metaphor? What is the metaphor? It's the same with people. People think that their homes that they make and their sajate, right? Just Allah Ta'ala Zameen ko sajaya. Log apne garon ko sajate hain, apne zindagi ko sajate hain, apne CVs ko sajate hain, right? Apne accomplishments ko sajate hain. Thinking that this is something that's permanent, that's going to last forever. And Al-Sponsor says, no, all, and they think that they control, and they're master of their affairs, and they control their own destiny, and they're living their own lives, and they determine what they do and choose what they do. Al-Sponsor is saying, no, all of these things are bounties and blessings from Allah Sponsor. If he wants, he can just slice it all away. He could slice it all away and take all the bounties and blessings away. In another way, it's also true for human beings as a collective, that human beings build up civilizations, dynasties, monarchies, empires, right? And people who were the leaders and even, even, the, even the advisors and sometimes even the servants of these empires, they used to think that their empire and civilization would last forever, that the palace would last forever. And you can just go. You can come visit us in England and you know how many castles you can tour <laughs> to show you? Empty, decrepit, rotting castles and palaces. The whole country is full of it. Right? Because every empire fades. Everything fades. Everything. So the whole, what's the metaphor then? How is this a metaphor for the whole Hayat dunya Because the life of this world is temporary. It's fleeting. It's ephemeral. It's transitory. There's no permanence here. That's why in Arabic we call this Darul Fana. And that is Darul Baqa. The Akhirah is of the place of permanence. There you will have crops that are permanent. There you will have a castle that nobody will ever come to take a tour of and wonder who used to live here. <laughs> you will always be living there. That is the realm that is, that is the place that is unfading. So why not then attach your heart, why attach your heart to something that is funny and fading and ephemeral? Why not attach your heart and focus your efforts on that abode and that realm that is everlasting? And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in one of these most beautiful ways that Allah ta'ala sends His mercy on us says, Wallahu yad'u ila dar salam. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting, He is doing dawah. You know, my sheikh used to mention this, that when people get invitation cards in Pakistan, they open it and they see who is it from. Based on who is it from, and what am I being invited to? It's from General so-and-so, and I'm being invited to, what is that place called? Garrison Club. Oh, khush Right? Khush General Saab ne mujhe yaad kiya. Or Garrison Club ki dawat di. So this Quran is a dawat. A dawat namai. Who is inviting? Wallah. Allah Akbar Kameera. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting. 
And who is he inviting us? What is he inviting us to? Wallahu yadu ila daris salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is inviting us to daris salam, the abode of absolute, eternal, complete, everlasting peace. Wayahdi man yasha'u ila salatu mustaqim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides whomsoever he will to the safe path. Then the dina asanul husna was yara. And for those who do ihsan, for those who do mm, noble and virtuous and righteous works, what will they have? They will have al-husna. They will have the most best. Those who do the best will have the best in the akhirah. Waziyala, and they will have even more. Those who do good will have the best, and they will be given even more. Right? Wala yarhaku wujuhahum fatarun wala zilla. And there will be no. That means no. Paul or no gloom, no gloom or darkness shall come over their faces and never will they have zilla, they will never have any disgrace, any humiliation, any dishonor. Jannah. These are the people who are the companions of Jannah, and they will dwell therein forever. And as far as those who do evil deeds, they will be the they will be their they will be recompensed with the like for the like. The retribution will be similar to the evil and the sin that they did. And what will happen, however, that their faces uh, they will have zilla. They will be they will enter into a state of disgrace and dishonor shall cover them and over disgrace and dishonor will overwhelm them. Malhum min Allahi min asim and they will not find when Allah subhanahu wa taala there is none to save them. There is there is nothing that can save them from Allah SWT. Now their faces will be covered and cast with such a gloom and a darkness. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean literally that they will be blackened, but it means that there will be such a gloom on them, such a despair on them, such a gloom that it will feel as if a piece of the night was just pasted on their face. That a piece of the blackness of the blackest of nights, of no moon and starless nights, was pasted on their face. That's the level of gloom that will be the izhar of the level of huzn and grief and sorrow that they have because of the evil and the sins and the disobedience that they used to do. Allah kasabanar indeed is the companions of the fire of hell, hum fiha khaladun, and they shall dwell therein forever. Interestingly, in Hadith in Bukhari, Nabi Yaqrim someone he wrote a letter, one of the letters that the Prophet wrote. This is another fascinating area of Hadith studies and Sira studies, the letters of the Prophet One letter they wrote to the Caesar of Rum, uh, the Kaiser of Rum, he wrote to him similar words of the Quran that accept Islam, you will be left in peace and you will receive double reward. You will receive twice the reward. All right. Here many other ayahs in Quran talks about this, especially in the 30th juz. There's much description, many descriptions about Qiyamah, the Day of Judgment, and how people's faces will be on that day. And that day is when we will gather all of humanity together. And it will be said to those who committed shirk, مَقَانُكُمْ أَنْتُمْ وَشُرَقَاءُكُمْ that you and your idol, you and the partners that you ascribe to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or it came in, in fact we did this ayah before as well, and it came, this ayah came earlier, you and the, either you and the partners that you ascribe to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or you and your partners in shirk, you and your partners in shirk, shirk you should simply makanakum, wait in place. It means you're not going anywhere. That's what it means. That's the feeling here. 
right? You don't get that in the English translation, right? Wait in your place means you're not going anywhere. That's what it means. So it means stay here, wait in your place. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is going to separate them. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we will separate them, فَزَيَّلْنَا بَيْنَهُمْ That we will separate them, between them and either again the idols that they're ascribing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or they will separate them and their partners in which they used to worship. But here, they will separate them and the idols that they worship, and then the idols will say, the idols will say to them, the idols will actually say to them that, مَا كُنْتُمْ إِيَّانَا تَعْبُدُونَ That you never ever used to worship us. There's no such thing of worshipping us. Right? They did worship, but it means that you didn't worship, but it means that we were not worthy of being worshipped. The idols will be people that people prostrated to the idols and gave animal sacrificial offerings to the altars of those idols. Right? And then they will say, وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ shahida. Allah Ta'ala is going to give the ability of speech to these idols. And even they will invoke Allah SWT. وَكَفَى بِاللَّهِ شَهِيدًا بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ That Allah Ta'ala suffices between us and you. One reason this may be is because you remember Allah Ta'ala had said that human beings and stones will enter the fire jannah. And many of these idols will be made of stone. So they'll be worried. In the house, we never told them to worship us. We never told them we were a god. Right? We never told them we were a god. So, in kunna an ibadatikum laghafilin. And the fact of the matter is that they're saying that indeed we were completely unaware. We were completely, we were ghafil, we were completely unaware of the worship that you were doing. We have nothing to do with what you used to do. Hunalika. تَبْلُوا كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَسْلَفَتْ At that moment, then each and every single self will be tried for what they, what they had done earlier. Some translators will assess and they will analyze what they did earlier and what they sent ahead to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَرُدُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ They will all be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَوْلَاهُمْ Who is the master of each and every one of them. الْحَقِّ in Their true master, their master in reality. And وَذَلَّ أَنْهُمْ مَا كَانُوا يَفْتُرُونَ And all of the lies that they invented and fabricated about their deen or their beliefs about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أَنْهُمْ All of that will vanish from them. All of that will be lost from them. Alright. So this simply is saying that they've judgment that all these false gods will aver and dis, you know, will exonerate themselves. It's another type of barat. Will exonerate themselves from all of these things. It can also mean, right, that for us anything that we set up as idols inside our heart Right? And that's going to come later. But our own self, our own body will testify against us as well on the Day of Judgment. Our own self and our own body will also testify against us on the Day of Judgment. That I'm buried from him. I couldn't, I, I didn't want to do sin. He used me in sin. The hand will say, I didn't want to be used in sin. He used me in sin. The hand will say, I don't want to go to Jannah. I'm innocent. <laughs> the hand will proclaim its innocence on the person. The tongue will proclaim innocence. That he used me in sin. I didn't want to do sin. Allah Akbar. Our own body will testify against us. This is coming later in Quran. Our own body will testify against us as well on the Day of Judgment. Going back to Surah Tawbah, we are, uh, Surah Yunus, sorry, Surah number 10, verse number 31. Right? Yes. 
قُلْ مَنْ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَمْ مَنْ يَمْلِكُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَمَنْ يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيْتِ And who is there who provides for you from the realms that lie above the skies and from the earth? Who is it that who controls the listening and controls the, uh, the, the seeing? Who is it that has brought the living from the dead and brings the dead from the living? Who is it that in whose hand lies every single matter? Who is doing tadbir and controlling and planning every single thing? Allah that surely, surely they will also reply that it's Allah. It's only and only Allah SWT is doing all these things. So say to them, my beloved Master Sallam, then why don't you fear Allah SWT? When you know that Allah SWT is the Master, the Creator, and the Master, then why don't you fear Him? So again, this is really, although it may initially at one point in history have been advice from Mushrikeen, it is extremely powerful and worthy advice for us. And when we believe in the Kalama, we believe that Allah Ta'ala is Khalik and Malik, then what is it that prevents us from fearing Him? Why is it that we don't fear Allah Subhanahu Fear Him means that we should fear disobeying Him. Right? So they will have no answer. What, does it, what it means here that they will say, it means they will have no answer. It says here they will say. It means that they will have no answer, no ability to say anything other than say Allah. That Allah subhanahu wa is the being who has done all of these things. So then why don't you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? رَبُّكُمُ الْحَقِ And know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa is your Rabb in truth and veracity. فَمَاذَا بَعْدَ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا الظَّلَالِ And after truth there is only going astray. In other words, that once you've seen the truth and know the truth, if you don't accept the truth, then there is not, you cannot think that I've just passively not accepted the truth. Not accepting the truth necessarily means that you will go astray. It's a white and black situation. Right? Again, this is something for us. Right? Then if just knowing Islam is true, but if we don't follow it, doesn't mean that, okay, at least I know it's true. Or people like to think, okay, I'm at least stationary. There is no stationary in deen. There is no status quo in deen. Either you're going up in deen, or you're going down in deen. What you think in status quo, if circumstances are favorable, means you're going down. And for some people, sometimes if you're in status quo, it actually means you're going up. So the example normally we give to explain is a river. And if the currents of the river are behind you, Right? If you've got tailwind, if you're flying, and you're still swimming at the same speed. So what does it mean behind you? You live in a Muslim country, you were born in a Muslim family, you've heard dars of Quran, you have Muslims who advise you and counsel you, and you're still going the same speed, that means you're stagnating. Because you've been given a boost and you're still the same, and you're still sinning, and you're still sinning. So it's not like, there's no barqarar, there's no status quo, it means you're stagnating. However, maybe, if some of you, maybe you go and you spend some time abroad, and there's a current that goes against you. There's a countercurrent, there's an environment that is mukhalif to deen, there are people who are taking you away from deen, and at that moment at least you remain steadfast in what you are, then you're progressing. You're actually progressing. So there is no status quo. This is what Allah SWT is saying. After haq, there's only the lala. Once the truth has manifested itself in any other option, all other options can be only uh, misguidance. فَأَنَّا تُسْرَفُونَ So this is where are you wandering off to? Where is it that you will go? Where is it that you go then after the haq has been revealed to you and that you have been told that after haq there is only guidance. And thus, <coughs> thus is how the words and kalimat and decree of your Rabb have come to be true and are justified. Against who? Against those who sin and transgress. And those who have decided that they will definitely not believe. Go say to them, my beloved Messiah, are there any from your partners? Are there any from your partners who can create something from scratch, who can originally create creation, 
ثُمَّ يُعِيدُهُ And then after that creation dies, can they reproduce it? Can they resurrect it? قُلِ اللَّهُ يَمْدُعُ الْخَلْقَ ثُمَّ يُعِيدُهُ Say to them that it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can create from scratch, who can originate creation, and then we can return it back to life after it has died. فَأَنَّا تُفَقُونَ So where is it that again, so where is it that you're wandering astray? Where is it that you're being turned away to? قُلْ Say to them, هَلْ مِنْ شُرَكَائِكُمْ مَنْ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْحَقِّ That are there any of your idols and partners that you associate with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who guide to haq? قُلِ اللَّهُ يَهْدِي لِلْحَقِّ That say to them, no, it's only and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who guides to haq. Who is it who guides to haq? أَحَقُّ أَنْ يُتَّبَى أَمَّنْ لَا يَهِدِّ that who is there, who is it who guides to the truth, or who is more worthy of being followed, or who cannot find guidance unless he's shown the way? Famalakum, what is it that what is your problem? What Famalakum, what is your problem? Kefa tahkumun, on what basis are you judging? On what basis do you make your decisions? On what basis have you decided not to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? وَمَا يَتَّبِعُ أَكْثَرُهُمْ إِلَّا ذَنَّا But unfortunately, Allah Ta'ala is telling the Prophet that the vast majority of them don't follow anything except their mere conjecture. إِنَّ الظَّنَّ لَا يُغْنِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ Indeed, that know that dhan has no weight when it comes in front of haq. And dhan can, can never be never be ghani from haq. Dhan can never do without the truth. Dhan conjecture can only be based on truth. All right. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa is all-knowing about each and every single thing that you do. All, right. all of this is again very self, very clear stuff that we have explained earlier. And it does not be, this Qur'an al-Kareem is not such a Qur'an al-Kareem that, uh, that it could have been preceded or been made by any other than Allah subhanahu wa وَلَكِنْ تَسْدِيكَ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ But in fact this Qur'an is nothing other than a confirmation and verification of what already lies in your hands. وَتَفْسِيلَ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ And is a clear explanation of the law. لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ There is no doubt in it whatsoever. And this Qur'an is مِنْ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ is from the Lord of all of the worlds. Alright. But do they say that Allah Ta'ala, do they say that Nabi Akrimsam has made it up? Is that what they say? Fatu bi Then if it's something that can be made, if it's something that is man-made, then you are men. Why don't you make one surah like it? If you think the Quran is man-made instead of divine revealed, then why don't you come and make one surah like it? What u minastatum min dunillahi in kuntum sadikin and go and make dua. Go to make du'a, make du'a to whomsoever you can and whomsoever you're able to help you in this task. If you don't think the Qur'an is divine made, it's man made, the Prophet made himself, you make it yourself and you call upon whoever you view to be gods, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you in kuntum sadiqeen, if indeed you are truthful. بَلْ كَذَّبُوا بِمَا لَمْ بِإِلْمِهِ But indeed they're denying and falsifying that about which their knowledge could never assess, their knowledge could never encompass, they would never even be able to reach knowledge about it. They could never comprehend with knowledge. Okay, that's they've rejected a thing that they could never ever comprehend with knowledge. While, وَلَمَّا يَعْتِهِمْ تَعْوِيلُهُ While its ultimate outcome, its ultimate purpose has not even come to them yet. So they don't actually even understand 
right? The Qur'an al-Kareem and what its ultimate purpose is, which is to bring a human being into eternal bliss and to eternal success. Fatima? كَذَلِكَ كَذَّبَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ And thus did people who came before them, they also denied, and they also denied Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they also denied revelation came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they also denied prophets came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَانْذُرْ كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاكِبَةُ الظَّالِمِينَ So go and see what was the outcome of such unjust oppressors and wrongdoers. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يُؤْمِنُ بِهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ لَا يُؤْمِنُ بِهِ And from amongst them, they are going to be such a person who believes in you, Prophet and they are going to be such people who they believe in the Quran and going to be some people who don't believe in Quran. But don't worry, your Rabb is all-knowing and knows better about who are the people who are spreading facade and corruption and sedition on this earth. Or mischief. Alright. وَإِن كَذَّبُوكَ And if they falsify you, my beloved Messenger Sam, you should say them, لِأَمَلِي وَلَكُمْ أَمُلُكُمْ That to me will be my, my deeds. Zainab. 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 <laughs> Anik, don't give it to them. You're indulging them and they're just going to do further. Alright? Better be Alka Sanjayat. So say that to me is my amal. To say to them with Prophet that to me are my deeds and to you are your deeds. Antum bari'una mimma a'malu. That are you indeed, you are absolved of what I do, you're exonerated from what I do. And I wa ana mimma ta'malun, and I am free of what you do. Very similar to what all of you know from Surah Al Kafirun, Lukum dinukum So the Prophet is saying that I'm not, you are my community, but you are my community in terms of I have to address you and bring the message to you. I'm not going to be liable, and I'm not responsible for what you do, and I'm absolved from all of the disbelief that you have, and I'm absolved from all of the lies that you fabricate against Allah SWT. Alright. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَسْتَمِعُونَ إِلَيْكَ And there will be those who intently listen to you. استماع means that they deeply listen to you. However, أَفَأَنْتَ تُسْمِعُ السَّمَّ وَلَوْ كَانُوا لَا يَاكَلُونَ But can you make the deaf hear when they cannot even understand? What does it mean that there are some people who listen to the Prophet ﷺ intently, outwardly, but they're not really hearing with their hearts? So this is a different type of deafness. The deafness here means that they're not willing to submit. Deafness means the unwillingness to submit to what they're being told. And same thing, وَمِنْ هُمْ مَنْ يَنْذُرُوا And of, of these disbelievers, there are those who also look at you. They're doing didar of Nabi Iqnim Sassam. They're looking at the Prophet Sassam. But, أَفَأَنْتَ تَهْدِلْ أُمْيَا وَلَوْ كَانُوا لَا يُبْسِرُونَ That can you show the way to the blind when they cannot see? So again, they're looking at the Prophet Sassam, but they're not seeing him. Let's put it that way. They're looking at him, but they're not seeing the nur of his nabuwa. They're not seeing the truth of his nabuwa. Inna Allah la yadlimun nasa shay'a. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not oppress people in the least. Walakinna nasa anfusahum yadlimun. However, people, they are, they're only hurting and oppressing and wronging their own selves. وَيَوْمَ يَحْشُرُهُمْ كَأَنْ لَمْ يَلْبَثُوا إِلَّا سَاءَةً مِنَ النَّهَارِ That on that day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will gather each and every human being on the Day of Judgment. And they will feel as if they stayed in this world just a sa'a, just a... They, didn't, they did not stay in this world except for but a moment of the day. When they look back, they will feel that they were just, 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 just a flash, just a moment that we spent in this world.
That's how they will feel when they come in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. That they will recognize one another. They will recognize one another. Elsewhere you are going to see later in Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention that they will flee from one another. The rupt between this is that they're not going to flee from their mother and their brother, Yoma yafil umar umin akhi. And that I, first their brother comes, they will flee from their brother, from their mother, from their friend, right? They won't flee because they don't recognize them. They recognize completely that this is my brother and this is my mother and this is my friend. They will recognize one another. Okay? But, we will do that later when that comes, but they will flee from one another even though they have recognized one another. خَسْرَ الَّذِينَ كَذَّبُوا بِلَكَاءِ اللَّهِ And even indeed those who denied this meaning with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will be in a state of severe and utter and absolute loss. مَا كَانُوا مُحْتَدِينَ And they were مَا كَانُوا مُحْتَدِينَ And they were not people who were rightly guided. وَإِمَّا نُرِيَنَّكَ بَعْضَ الَّذِينَ نَعِدُهُمْ And if we were to show you even a part of that punishment and torment that has been promised to them, right? Or, نَتَوَفَّيَنَّكَ فَإِلَيْنَا مَرْجِئُهُمْ ثُمَّ اللَّهُ شَهِيدٌ عَلَى مَا يَفْعَلُونَ Or were we to claim your soul, then you would know that if ilayna marjuhum that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala each and every of their returns thumma Allahu shahidun ala ma yafulun and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bearing witness to each and every single thing that they did all right okay here what it means is that we will take we will to claim your soul in other words that Allah ta'ala will take a person's soul before the day of judgment overcomes them even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes their soul before the day of judgment overcomes them, either way, even then they will return to Allah. They thought that okay, that the, some of the mushrikeen used to say to the Apostle that okay, bring the day of judgment upon us now. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really exists and His punishment exists, and you saw that earlier, we did this a few days ago, that bring the punishment on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying the return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not only for those people upon whom the day of judgment occurs, the return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not only for those people upon whom His punishment is sent, everybody's return will be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if Allah so takes you up before the day of judgment or before any punishment, even for such souls, Allah, the return will be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is something we have discussed before, but now it's coming perhaps most explicitly thus far, to each and every ummah is a rasul. I discussed this with you earlier when we were talking about the Abrahamic prophets and I told you about the Middle East and I told you about different communities in the world. So we have commented on this already. To each and every ummah is a rasul. So that means that from the time of the Prophet until the end of time, this entire earth, all of humanity is one ummah. In that ummah, either they're the ones who accept the Prophet or they're the ones who have yet to accept him. But there will never be any other prophet. So when the Rasul, their messenger and prophet came to them, then after that, once a prophet has come to them, now it befits and it is uh, befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to decide the matter with them, and the decision will be decided on the basis of justice. Justice meaning again who followed that messenger and who followed the scripture brought to that messenger or not. Alright. And none, nobody will be wronged and nobody will be, uh, no, no injustice will be done to anyone. 
They say, Then when will this promise happen if you indeed truthful? So, That I do not possess any power whatsoever. I do not possess any power to bring about any harm or to even benefit even my own self except that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. There is an appointed time for each and every ummah. Every ummah will come to an end. Every nation civilization will come to an end. And when their time comes, فَلَا يَسْتَأْخِرُونَ سَاعَةً They will not be able to delay that moment. They will not be able to delay their appointed time even for a moment. And nor will they be able to bring it forward or bring it earlier for even a moment. Say to them, أَرَأَيْتُمْ إِنْ أَتَاكُمْ أَذَابُهُ بَيَاتًا أَوْ نَهَادًا Say to them, if the punishment of Allah comes to you at night, or if the punishment of Allah wish to befall you in the day, مَاذَا يَسْتَعْجِلُوا مِنْهُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ Then why is it, why do the wrong-doing sinners want to hurry that punishment? What is their hurry? That they're saying that if bring the punishment if it is true. When will the promise materialize if it is true? Will athumma ida ma waka'a amantum bihi? That if it was to come, if the punishment was to be waki, if it was to occur, would they actually believe then? Al-ana wakan kuntum bihi tasta'jilun. So if you want an al-an, you should believe now. You should believe now in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You shouldn't wait for the punishment to come. And it will be said to them, it will be said to you at that time that had you believed now, while you used to demand in mockery, that it should come sooner. So actually what Allah SWT is saying is that when the punishment comes, some of them will actually believe, but that belief at the time of punishment won't be accepted. That I already explained to you several weeks ago, that iman is not muqtabar, is not accepted when a person is staring death, uh, their death in the eye. Then it will be said to those who are wrongful, oppressor, unjust people, taste and endure and experience that everlasting, undying punishment. And are you being recompensed with anything other than that which you used to do and commit and which you even earned your own self? <coughs> They ask you, Nabi Akram Sallallahu Ahakun, is it really the Ahakun huwa? Is this really the truth? Kul That say that yes, and then swear by, swear by me and by my Rabb, that indeed it is the truth. Wama antum be mu'jizin, and you will not ever, you will not have any way to escape this truth. There is no escaping this truth at all. Alright. All things that we have done before, right? This recognition that I mentioned that they'll recognize one another, but that recognition will not help them in any way. It's due to the severity of the day of judgment that it, the debt day will be so intense that all of their memories, when it says that they will think that they only lived on this earth for a moment, all of their memories of all of their joys and happinesses on this world will all fade, will just collapse. All of the pleasures that they had in this world will all collapse. All of the indulgences they did in this world will collapse. They will view that all of that was just a moment. And Allah Ta'ala is going to mention this in Surah 30, Surah Rum, verse 55. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says the same thing. That when the Day of Judgment will come, the Mujrimeen will swear an oath to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that we weren't even there for even a fraction of a moment. We were hardly there. That worldly life was something that was hardly just a moment. Alright?
everything else we've already explained to you when all these things came earlier. All right. Now we're on verse number 54. Yes? Okay, that if every, if anyone who did zulm, who did injustice or wrongdoing, if they possessed each and everything that was on this earth, and if they offered all of the wealth of this earth to ransom themselves in jan, from Jahannam, if they tried to offer it as a ransom, as a fidya to save themselves from, jan, from Jahannam, right? So what will happen is that when they see when they see the punishment and so there are some hadith that suggested on the day of judgment the fire, the, the person's abode in Jahannam will be made visible to that person. The person will be shown what their destination or what their spot in Jahannam is. So here the sponsor is saying here that when they see the adab on that day then what do they do? nadamata. They they hide their remorse. They conceal their remorse. Alright. So what will happen? And then the matter will be decided concerning them with equitable justice and they will know and justice will be done on them whatsoever. Allah inna lillahi ma indeed to Allah subhanahu wa belongs the dominion and mastery and sovereignty over all that lies in the realms above and all that is on this earth. And indeed know that it's the promise and covenant of Allah subhanahu wa that is absolutely true. However, the vast majority of them don't realize. Whom you hear, what you meet, he is that being who brings to life and causes to death. And to him, each and every one of you shall return. Alright. When they hide their remorse, what does that mean that they conceal their remorse when they see their punishment? What it means here is that they, number one, that they will feel remorse. They will feel remorse and regret over what they did. By hide here didn't mean, doesn't mean that they're being arrogant here, that they're in front of us, they're trying to appear not more. So that's not what it means. That's what in translation you can't appreciate. It doesn't mean that. It means that they will be so sad that they weren't mu'minin, they will be so remorseful over their past actions, over their past sins. But they know, they will know that the promise of Allah Ta'ala is haq, because they see the azab in front of them. They know that that remorse will not avail them of anything. They know it will be of no good. So they will swallow it out of shame. Because they know their shamefulness won't be any good. So sometimes you know when you see a, if you see a court case and you see a murderer and is guilty of murder, he stands there stoically. He may be remorse, but he knows now it's over. I've been sentenced to life in jail without parole. My remorse now is of no avail. It's no, it's no benefit. It's not of any benefit for me. That's what it means they will hide the remorse. Not because they have the audacity to be bold in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they will feel so much remorse, but because they see the promise of Allah's haq, because they will have the realization, and they will know, and they will know that this is, I'm, I'm doomed. And they will be faced with their doom, so because they're faced with their doom, they will know that they're showing the remorse will not be of any benefit to them on that day. So that's even more sad, right? That a person who feels bad about what they did and knows now it's too late and I'm doomed forever and there's no way I can make amends so they won't even show their remorse. That's what it means that they 
hide and conceal their remorse. Ya ayyuhan nas, kajaatkum mo'idatum min rabbikum, that all humanity indeed and advice and admonishment has come to you from your Rabb, with shifa'un lima fi sudur, and a cure for everything that lies in the breast, wa hudawun wa rahmatun, and a guidance and a mercy to the mu'mineen for the believers. So this is referring to, obviously, the mo'idah is referring to Qur'anul Kareem. Kul bi fadlillahi wa bi rahmatihi, that say, that say my beloved Mishra with the fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by means of his rahmah, <coughs> and based on this you should rejoice. Now some of the commenters say by fuzzle here, fuzzle means Quran al-Kareem, and by rahmat means Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa that we have not sent you except as a mercy from us unto all the worlds. So bifadlillahi means kitabullah, Qur'an, wa birahmatihi means Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? Fabidhalaka, and by means of this, falyafrahu, you should rejoice and be happy. Hum khairun mimma yajma'oon, and all of this is better than everything. This, this fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala, mercy of Allah this Qur'an, this Sunnah, this Qur'an, this Prophet, this is better than whatever all these people can accumulate from the wealth and honor and dignity of the, of the world. Right? So what they are accumulating, compared to what you have been bestowed upon, you have been bestowed by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, what you have been, what you have been bestowed is khairun mimma yajmoon, better than every single thing that they can gather and accumulate, therefore you should rejoice. Alright. And some say that Fazl and Rahmah, both of them refer to the Qur'an al-Kareem. Alright. Now we're on verse number 59. Kul, say to them, my beloved Mr. Sun, that have you ever, ara'aytum, have you ever wondered, pondered, considered, reflected over that which Allah subhanahu wa sent down upon you from risk, from the sustenance that He has given you, the provision that He has, given, provision that he has provided for you, فَجَعَلْتُمْ مِنْهُ harama wa halala, And you yourself declare some of it to be haram, and you declare some of it to be haram, halal. قُلْ أَلَّهُ أَذِنَ لَكُمْ أَمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ تَفْتَرُونَ Say to them that did Allah subhanahu wa give you some license to do so? Has Allah Ta'ala given you any license to declare something as halal or haram? Or is it instead that you are fabricating lies and inventing and attributing lies to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala? So, وَمَا ذَنُّ الَّذِينَ يَفْتُرُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبَ What are those people thinking? Those who fabricate lies against Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, what is in their mind and what basis do they do so? And they fabricate lies about you. What do they think about يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى النَّاسِ Know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fuzzle on nas, not just believers. Dhu fadlin ala nas is extremely gracious with all of humanity by sending books to all of humanity, by sending prophets to all of humanity, by willing to accept iman from all of humanity, even the most sinful members of that humanity. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ However, the vast majority of humanity La yashkurun is not grateful, is not thankful, is not appreciative of this fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is like a tragedy. The Qur'an sometimes talks about this tragedy, that having such a kind and generous Rabb, right? Ya yuhansan ma karim. That, O oh, humanity, what is it that has deceived you about your kind and generous Rabb? But Allah subhanahu knows and Allah subhanahu says that the vast majority of humanity, this is again why we don't want to, mu'mineen are not people who follow the trends in society, because trends are set by the majority. And the majority of human beings and the majority of human society has been declared by Allah Ta'ala Qur'an as, as, as human beings who are not thankful, not appreciative, not aware, not grateful to Allah subhanahu 
وما تكونوا في شأنه وما تت وما تطلو منه من قرآنه ولا تعملون من عمل إلا كنا عليكم شهودا Here Allah SWT is saying that we are witnesses وَمَا تَكُونُ فِي شَأْنٍ Whatever state that you are in Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu And in whatever you recite from the Qur'an Al-Kareem This has to do because when Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu This is a long story When the revelation came on the Prophet Different states overwhelmed him Different ahwal overwhelmed him When revelation was revealed to him Whether directly by Allah Subhanahu Qalb Whether brought through Angel Jibreel Imam Bukhari has in the very beginning of his sahih Has collected some hadith Babun kaifa kana bad al-wahi And explaining how the wahi originated And what were the feelings and experiences the Prophet had So Allah Subhanahu is saying To his Prophet That I know I'm fully aware Kunna alaykum shuhuda That indeed we are completely witnessing And watching the states and conditions that come to you And everything that you recite from the Qur'an That is given, revealed to you right? And each and every single thing that you do From whatever action that you commit And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said You should know that there is not a single Atom's weight in the earth or in the sky That escapes the knowledge of Not even an atom's weight escapes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is in the earth and in the skies. Alright? And ذَلَكَ وَلَا أَكْبَرَ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ There is nothing small or something large that is not فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ that has not been mentioned in the clear book. This كِتَابٍ مُبِينٍ number one is mentioned to be لَوْهُ mahfuz. لَوْهُ mahfuz means a pre-eternally inscribed tablet and where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had the kalamullah inscribed and then from there the Qur'an al-Kareem has been revealed. Indeed, the awliya Allah, the intimate friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there shall be no fear on them, nor shall they grieve. And who are these awliya? Alladina amanu, those who have iman. Wakanu yattakun, remember kana is for istimrar. Kana and mudhari, wakanu yattakun, and those who are perpetually established on taqwa. Those who adopt iman and thereafter are perpetually established on taqwa, those are the awliyaullah. Right? The wali hona kisi libas ka naam nahi hai, kisi shakal or surat ka naam nahi hai, kisi gaddi nishini ka naam nahi hai, kisi apne aap ko sufi silsila wala samajana nahi hai, wilayat iman or taqwa ka naam hai. Wilayat iman or taqwa per daim kaim rehna ka naam hai. Allah dina amanu. وَكَانُوا yattakun, Those who adopted Iman and those who thereafter perpetually established themselves on taqwa. لَهُمُ الْبُشْرَى فِي الْحَيَاةِ dunya. They get glad tidings in this world. They get a rejoice from Allah SWT on this world. Now what is that bushra? That can be a very long, long tafsir. We'll give you some hadith on that. Right? Bushra means Allah SWT sends his tajalliyat and anwarat onto their kalb. Allah SWT gives them his ridwan in this world. Allah subhanahu gives them itminan in their kalb. Allah bi dhikrillahi tatma'innul kulub. They get all types of bushra and glad tidings in this world. Wa fil akhirah. And they get these glad tidings in the akhirah. La tabdeel la kalimatillah. And once Allah subhanahu declared this happiness for them, then nothing can change the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. azim. Indeed, this is the most tremendous and supreme triumph. This meaning that لَا kalimatillah also means that once a person enters, there's a certain level of wilaya. 
which they say that a person is in mahfuz. So understand this, the anbiya or ma'sum means they're innocent and free and incapable of doing sin. There's a certain level of belay that a person gets so much taqwa, so much taqwa, so much taqwa, that because of such a high level of taqwa, now they're safeguarded against committing sin. This can be two levels. Either they're entirely safeguarded from sin, these are the gibare olia, or they're safeguarded from ever doing a sin which they would, would not repent from. This is now their safeguard that if ever they do slip and do a sin, they will always do toba over it. So if there's anything, they will always erase it. So when they come in front of Allah SWT, they again will come in front of Him with a clean record. And when Allah Ta'ala decrees this for a person, then لا تمدين لكلمات الله Then there is no force on earth, no power in the universe that can change the kalimat, the decree of Allah SWT. So this word awliya, this is the plural of wali. Alright? Okay. Now, what is uh, some of the things that Nabi Akram Sassam has mentioned in hadith? So, number one, uh, I've done. I did some of this with you before. Um, in, in, in Imam Bukhari, Mullah has reported a hadith in which Nabi Akram Sassam said that Allah SWT said that whomsoever harms a wali of mine, then I will declare war upon him. So this is another thing that they have the busha in this world, that anybody who harms the awliya of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declares war upon them. Whether that declaration of war means that they actually have something befall them in this world, or simply a declaration and then Allah ta'ala meets the punishment out to them in the akhirah, that cannot be said definitively, right? Okay. Second, in the same hadith, and when Allah ta'ala mentions this notion of wali, my wali, so a servant does not draw closer to me by doing anything that I love more ahabba ilayya, anything that is more beloved to me, except bil fara'id, the things that I've made mandatory in him. And then my abd continues to draw closer to me by carrying out the nawafil until I begin to love him. So this mentions how does a person become a wali through nafil, through being regular on the faraz, and also you have to do nafil ibadah. That is why the Mashaikh of the Sof would always teach their students to engage in nafil ibadah. Nafil ibadah, zikr, nafil salah, dua, tasbihat, istighfar, durood, nafil sadqa, nafil fasting, tahajjud, right? Because Allah Ta'ala has made it clear this hadith qudsi means the Prophet Allah Ta'ala says in Bukhari that how does a person become the beloved of Allah? By being regular on the faraid and also doing nawafil. Then Allah Ta'ala said, and that's for when we do Dora Hadith, inshallah, that when I love him, I become the ears by which he ears, the eyes by which he sees, the hands by which he holds and strikes, and the feet by which he walks. Alright. Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, Rimullah, one of the Tabai Tabin has narrated a hadith which he viewed to be authoritative and he viewed to be a source of our belief in his musnad that Sayyidina Ubadi ibn Isamat radiallahu when this verse was revealed then Sayyidina Ubadi ibn Isamat asked the Prophet what is meant by Bushra? So the Prophet responded to him that no one has ever asked me this question before. The Prophet responded to Sayyidina Ubadi ibn Isamat that nobody ever asked me this question before. By Bushra it means that they get dreams and visions. The dreams and visions are meant by Bushra and they are seen by that wali or and they are seen about that wali. This Muslim of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, this is the understanding of the Salaf Salihin and this is the hadith that they viewed and accepted to be authentic and made a basis of their iman and ittikal.
So this is another issue that Nabi Akram Sassam has mentioned in another hadith that out of all the 70, 40 or 70? 70. 70 aspects of Nabuth will be raised up except dreams. It means the dreams will be something that Allah spawned. It doesn't mean that a person will become a Nabi through a dream. Right? But it means that this communication will be there. So this is another type of Bushra. Khair, but dreams is another favorite topic. It's here. Your three favorite topics are jinn, dreams, and the signs of the end of time. Right? This is the three favorite topics of the young Pakistanis. So, in, in Hadith of Sahih Muslim, uh, Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghafari said, He asked Nabi Yaknim Sassam that if a person does a good deed, and then people praise him for it, so will his reward go down? even though he did the deed only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Nabi Akram said, no, his reward won't go down. And this, people praising him, this was a bushra for the mu'min that he received in the world, that this was a deed that was accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is another, this is a decent say Muslim, another possible meaning of the word bushra, that they get glad tidings in this world. Alright? Some have said that uh, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas, he had said that glad tidings mean that when the person is about to pass away, the angel before he takes their soul tells that person that they are a person whom Allah Ta'ala is pleased with and they get the proclamation of the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala in this world. Either way, the way to get this wilayat is iman plus taqwa plus faraid plus namafim. And why not if we're believers, don't parents tell their kids, gabeta jabab parriyo to a layla? Jabarnaye. To A plus Layla. Right? To Jab Mu'min Bannai to Wali Mu'min Banja. And that's simple. But people don't think like that anymore. People don't, they just want to do Fars only. Many of you heard me, I call this the Fars only Muslim. I just want to do what's Fars. That's it. Fars to Nayna. Bas, cheek. Khush And imagine a student telling his parents, is it required? I just want a D. I want straight D's this semester. Tell me what's required to get all D's. Your the fathers would ek lagate asabetiko. I said that I want to bring straight D's, but with their Allah spawned out the same father, he wants D's, straight D's. Now the dean of graduate school may be very nice, but he's not going to admit your son to graduate school if he brings straight D's. There's nothing to do with being nice. Allah spawned is very nice. You won't be admitted into Jannatul for those if you're a D Muslim. Why not try to go to Jantah for those? Why not try to be a wali? It's just a few years, a few decades. Everybody in this room is 20 or older, or 40 or 50 or older. Some of us are in the second innings of our life. Why not try to spend them living the life of a wali? Nakali say, Nakali say, Allah Ta'ala asal de Nakali say, Shad Allah Ta'ala asal banane. So this a person should aspire, because remember, Quran is a book of feelings. Our feeling as a moment is we want to feel every ayah of Qur'an. So if Allah Ta'ala is saying that there's people called awliya, right? And they will have no fear on them, nor should our heart should leap up and say, I want to be amongst those awliya. Not that I can be it, right? That's what they say, Urdu mein kisi shayar kata hai, ki mujhe apne pasti ki sharam hai, teri rafato ka khyal hai, magar mein apne nafs ko kya kano se phir bhi shauke wasal hai. If we know we can't become awliya, we don't think that we're worthy of becoming awliya, but we should want it, because you're supposed to want every single thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in Qur'an al-Karim. Let's see if I can... 
Mishkaloga. We wanted to finish this word today, but I think we'll have to let you go. It's 5.15, right? Iftari Bikarniya, right? Take us, so we'll stop over here. So we ended at Surah Yunus, Surah number 10, verse number 64. We'll start, inshallah, tomorrow on verse number 65. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi we ask that you accept our Tawbah. Ya Rabbi we completed the Tilawat and recitation today of Surah Tawbah. Ya Rabbi we ask that you accept our Tawbah as completely, as truly as you accepted the Tawbah of those three Siddiqeen, Sahaba, Mukhlisin, Allahuddin. Ya Allah, Rabbi Ya Allah, we ask that you grant us the nisbat of Sayyidina Qabil ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us true in our deen, true about our sins. We ask that you, we, we ask that you give us tawfiq to make Tawbah. We ask to Ya Tawab to send the tajalli of your Tawab on us and incline our hearts to make Tawbah and accept our Tawbah after you have inclined our hearts to do so. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept our fast. We ask that you accept our prayers. We ask that you make us the way that you want us to be. We ask that you make us in such a way that we are pleasing to you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we too want to have the Atlan of your Ridwan on this earth. We too want to receive the Bushra of yours in this life and also in the Akhirah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask that you grant us kamal iman, yakin in our iman. We ask that you grant us kamal taqwa and istikamat on our taqwa. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us get regular on our faraid, make us yearn to offer nawafil, let us experience the sweetness and pleasure of nafil ibadah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us come to you on the sirat al-mustaqeem, let us come to you on the path of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wasallam. and Ya Allah, we ask that you put in our hearts the ikram and ihtiram for all of those who have tafakku fi deen, let us follow their tafakku of deen, just like the mujahideen sahaba, following the tafakku of the fuqahai sahaba, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you enable us to do amal on each and every single ayah of Quran. Let there not be a single ayah of Quran that was qabli amal for us and we fail to do amal on it before we pass away. And let there not be a single hadith from the sunnah of Nabi Kareem wasallam that was qabli amal for any of us that we fail to do amal on it before we pass away. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to drown in the fuzzle that is your Quran. We want to drown that in the rahmah that is the sunnah of your Nabi salam. Ya Rabbi Kareem, that we ask that you accept our du'as. Ya Rabbi Kareem, humarin du'an ko kabool for ہمارے گناہوں کو معاف فرما ہمیں بھی توبہ تائب بننے کی توفیق عطا فرما ہمیں بھی تائبون آبدون حامدون راقعون ساجدون میں سے بنا یا رب کریم ہم سب کو تمام ایمان والے صفات نصیب فرما ہمیں مؤمنین کی صفات نصیب فرما اولیاء کی صفات نصیب فرما یا رب کریم اگر ان کی صفات ہمارے بس میں نہیں ہیں ان کی محبت ہمیں نصیب فرما ان کی ان کے ساتھ ایک نسبت ہمیں عطا فرما یا رب کریم ہم آپ کے دوستوں کے ساتھ اس لیے دوستی لگاتے ہیں اصل میں ہم آپ کے دوست بننا چاہتے ہیں یا رب کریم رمضان و مبارک مہینہ ہے ہم سے دوستی لگا دیجیے ہم سے ولایت کا معاملہ فرما دیجیے ہمیں بھی اپنے دوستوں میں شامل کر دیجیے یا رب کریم آپ کے اولیاء کرام میں ایسے بھی نام آتے ہیں جو پہلے ڈاکو تھے جو پہلے چور تھے جو پہلے شرابی تھے آپ نے ان کو دنیا کے نشہ سے نکال کر اپنے محبت کا نشہ عطا کر دیا تھا یا رب کریم ہمارے ساتھ بھی کچھ ایسے معاملہ فرما دیجیے ہم بھی دنیا کی نشہ پی کر آ چکے ہیں ہم بھی دین سے غافل رہ چکے ہیں یا رب کریم اس رمضان و مبارک کے مہینے میں 
ہمیں دین کا چسکا تھا فرما اپنی محبت کی جام پلا ہمارے دلوں کے اپنی محبت سے لبریز فرما بکریم ہمیں توبہ والی ندامت نصیب فرما اور ولایت والے ایمان سے مزین فرما یا رب کریم ہمیں اس قرآن کریم کا پڑھنا پڑھانا قبول فرما اس روزہ رکھنا کو قبول فرما یا رب کریم ہمیں ہمیشہ اپنے کلام اور اپنے نبی کریم صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم کے احکام سے وابستہ بنا ربنا تکمل منا انکا انت السمیع العلیم وطوب علینا انکا انت التواب الرحیم وصل اللہ تعالی على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين آمين